Welcome to the New Author Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Evanoff and Lindsay Evanoff. The super siblings will take you through their days as they write, publish, and market their books. They'll talk about their successes, their mistakes, and everything in between. And occasionally, they'll veer off into tangents that will most likely be discussion of which episode of The Office is their favorite. Seriously, they talk about The Office a lot. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be educated and entertained, but mostly entertained. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Author Podcast. Today is April 24th, 2022. This is episode number 163. I am one of the hosts of this podcast, Jerry Evanoff, and joining me after a couple weeks of being out is uh, our friend, Rich Casey. Rich, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jerry. Uh, had a great week. We spent the uh, week out at Wichita Mountains in Oklahoma camping. Uh, it was nice. There was no cell phone reception, no internet, no nothing. So you can just sit back and uh, do whatever it is you wanted to do. In my case, that was a lot of editing. But I also kind of reflected on something you brought up a couple of weeks ago in the podcast when I wasn't there about, uh, I think the, the question is, what makes a good story? And I tried to reflect on that during the week. And to be honest with you, I didn't really come up with a good answer. Oh, wow. Okay. Because I have a couple of answers that I didn't say on the podcast because I want to talk to you about them. That's I have like, a, I have a couple different answers, but okay. I don't have a, like a definitive answer. Okay. I mean, the, the, the one you'll you'll hear a lot, especially since the advent of, of 20 books to 50K, is that a good story is a story people are willing to buy. Yeah, and that, right. I don't and necessarily that, agree that, with that, but okay. Yeah. And that, and that continue, people continue to want to buy and kind of sticks in people's imagination of, uh, you know, what they think. Uh, or something that piques their imagination that, that gets them thinking or or whatever for me I, I think you can approach a question from two different angles one you could think about it from the reader's side you know what 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 is going to capture the attention reader what is the reader going to like but there's the other side which is the author's side i mean we're the ones that are creating the stories we're the ones that are trying to ostensibly get a point across in some cases or maybe just to entertain and a good story is probably one that ultimately we're happy putting out there for other people to read. We think it's a, it's, it's a good, it, it encapsulates whatever we were trying to transmit to another person. I'll tell you, let me do this. Let me, I'm going to rephrase the question to you then, because okay. I, I, the, 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 the good story is one that people are willing to buy is kind of what brought up the question in the first place. And again, it goes back to me listening to the story grid, just re-listening to all of them. I mean, I listened to three of them today. It's just, it's, um, it, I'm, I'm binging basically just from, I'm still in 2017, so I have a long way to go. And uh, so we'll, we'll get to that and we'll kind of talk about uh, the question that I have is why do people buy it more than just what makes a good story? Um, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that because I, I think that's going to be a fun little topic to, to talk about. So, all right, let me get to my stats here and then we'll hear kind of what you've been doing over the past three weeks. I'm excited to hear um, in your stats what, what you've been doing. So uh, my book, one of my murder mystery is up only 987 words to 51,398. But believe me, I worked hard on it and, uh, and, and worked through the week on it. So 987 words is actually a pretty good word count for what I did with it. Uh, if we have new listeners out there, I do have book three of my science fiction series started. Uh, I wrote book one and two, published it in 2019 and 2020, and I published a novella also, a, a prequel novella. And back last year, like September, October period, I kind of got tired of it, tired of the characters, got stuck in the middle of, of book three after writing about 60,000 words. And uh, so I put it aside and uh, I'll get back to it once my mystery is out there. Mailer Light, I'm hanging tight at 860. I actually have gotten a few more 
uh, subscribers. I think I was at 857 before we started advertising the podcast on Facebook. And I think I picked up three subscribers, maybe even four, because I think I had somebody unsubscribe. So maybe even four based on uh, the, I remember you mentioned that I, I couldn't figure out where these new subscribers are coming from. And you had mentioned the, the advertising. So, um, so I'm at 860 now, which is nice. Uh, last week's goal was to finish through chapter eight and then start a reread of the first eight chapters. Uh, I did that. I finished eight and then I read all the way through chapter seven today. I still have chapter eight to, to go over again. Really what I was doing there was, and this goes back to me just listening to the story grid over and over. Like I said, I wanted to, I want to reread my, my, um, what's he call it? The beginning hook is what he calls it on there. I wanted to reread that just to make sure I was happy with it. I made a couple changes here and there, found some mistakes, found some times where I, there was a, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do is keep the gender of my murderer secret as I write a couple scenes from his POV. And uh, I did find at one point early in the first chapter where I put the word he in there and I thought, oh, thank God I reread this. And I took the word he out of there and rewrote the sentence. So um, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to make sure that my, my main character has a, a specific reason why he wants to solve this murder because it's an amateur sleuth. And I wanted to make sure that my, um, my murderer's reasoning for doing it was also clear and made sense. And it wasn't just, you know, I, I don't like the stories where the person is evil just to be evil. I like when they actually have like a deep backstory or a reason that they're doing the things. I almost want, I almost want it to where if you read the book from the murderer's point of view, as you were reading it, you would, yeah, yeah, I, I kind of get his point here. I understand what he's doing. I see why he's or she's doing what they're doing. So, um, right. so I want. Well, I mean, that's one of the tenets of good storytelling. Getting back to good stories, yeah. is that the antagonist always believes that in their world that they're doing the right thing. Right. And and that you know, there, again, there's no such thing as a person who is evil for evil's sake. They're evil because they're going against the grain of society or the culture that they live in or whatever, but they're doing it for a specific reason. And, and right. it's because usually it's, it's self-centered reasons. It's some personal gain that they want, but not always. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did here is I went through and I just added a little bit of description. There was one of the chapters where, and I'll talk, probably talk about this. One of the chapters where I was describing you and I talked probably four or five weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago about whether I should make the, the plant manufacturing plant in my book specific to a, you know, they're manufacturing a specific thing. And the, the, the thought was, all right, I work, I worked for a hose plant for a long time. I, I, I spend a lot of time going back and forth to hose plants. I know what that plant looks like. I know what people do. I know the terminology. So I just decided to go ahead and make it that. So part of this reread of the first eight chapters was going through the parts where I was talking about the plant and then describing it better so that it made more sense. Right. Um, yeah. In fact, I had read one of the chapters last week to my writer's group and afterward, you know, he, uh, one of the guys said, you know, I don't know what this is. I, I went to Google. He goes, but I didn't have to because I understood that it was a piece of the machinery used in that plant. It didn't matter specifically what it was. I just knew that that term was for that plant, which made me feel good that I had done it in a, in a good way. So. Right. Right. And that, yeah. that rereading of the early chapters is a good thing to do. Uh, number one, to get everything straight the way you like it. But number two, the more you refine it, uh, as long as you don't write out the initial hook that you had, it's going to capture the uh, reader's attention more. If, if they're getting two, three, four, five chapters in and everything is really solid and it's flowing well, uh, that's going to keep them moving through the book even to the end, even if things towards the end start to fall apart a little bit, which if you read almost any book, uh, traditional published or not, but it's, it's particularly evident in self-published books, uh, things get a little bit loosey-goosey towards the end and you get, you know, uh, 
you really have to start suspending your disbelief in order to make it to the end. But but you're willing to because the setup has been so good. And I think right. that's a lot. That's right. a lot of what Sean Coyne talks about in the story grid is that you got to get that setup really rock solid in order for it to be a story right. that people want to continue to read. Yeah, it doesn't matter how fantastic the world was. If the characters know that world and they're immersed in that world, then you can believe later when something strange happens. Oh, that happened because it's that world. And, and I understand that's how that world is. And right. And yeah. So. Um, so anyway, I, one thing I did, though, in, in doing this, going through it again, was I made my main character's reason for wanting to solve the murder something different than it was. You know, at the, originally it was just, oh, I want to solve a murder. Well, I don't know if anybody's really like that in real life. So I gave him a, a better reason of why he wants to do what he, he's doing. And I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to work. Um, I'm, I'm still getting through that, that those eight chapters. In fact, chapter eight is, and I have to reread probably tomorrow night, is the one where he really spells out, yeah, I need to do this and this is why. And it has nothing to do with what happened back in chapter one where he was just bragging how he could solve a crime. Um, right. So I'm pretty happy about how that went. So I, f I find that to be one of the trickiest things about writing amateur sleuth uh, mysteries is you've got two things going on. You've got one, why is this amateur even getting involved? You know, what makes them think that they have a skill set that they could bring to bear on this particular question? But the second thing is, uh, if, as is often the case, you have to have them interacting with a professional police force, why are they tolerating them? And, you know, you can go a couple of ways with that. You can go with, you know, as I'm doing in my book one of, of this new series, that the, the, the uh, police force is undermanned or on a small island. They don't have the resources. This amateur sleuth happens to have a particular uh, talent set that they don't have access to, that a big police force would have access to. So. There it makes, at least in my mind, makes a little more sense where the police would tolerate and maybe even welcome this person into the investigation, as long as it's unofficial. You know, they, they right. can't really right. they can't really talk about it. Um, yeah, and I wrote but, that chapter into mine, like chapter fourteen or fifteen. I had to write that exact same thing you just talked about. Why is the police force who's there doing the job tolerating this kid just coming in and basically doing it? And I think I gave a pretty good reason. It's almost like. He's he's kind of kind of going undercover for them because he knows the people in the building that they don't. So maybe they would just let things slip. He is unofficial. Absolutely. And right. I think I worked it out to where one cop, she's OK with it. And the other guy, he's not OK with it. Right. So, so it's almost in your case, it's almost an, an informant kind yeah. of relationship. Yeah. Right. And the other way that you often see it handled is that there is a, a large amount of antagonism between the amateur sleuth and the professional police force. And that's, you know, uh, uh, thing that they really lean on heavily in the Father Brown series that I've been watching. The police don't really want Father Brown involved in these mysteries. Father Brown's gonna get involved in them anyways. And it's there's always that that fighting back and forth between the two to the point where it gets a little bit repetitive after, you know, right. 50, 60 episodes I've watched. Yeah, that is so many that is so many murder she wrote is the same thing that the police do not want. If she's not in Cabot Cove, the police do not want Jessica Fletcher nosing in their investigation. And she just kind of says, okay. And then she keeps going and then proves them wrong at the end, like every right. time. Yeah. Right. That's the Father Brown motif right there. Same thing. <laughs> and it's so fun to watch. I don't know why. I just yeah, love watching yeah. it. So, yeah. so yeah, so that was, that were, those are my stats. Um, how about you? What? How, give us some stats for the last few weeks. Okay. Yeah. I've been basically out of, out of, action here for three weeks. I mean, that first week I dropped off, I was I was ill. So I lost a number of days there where I just didn't feel well enough to write or do anything. Last last uh, couple weeks, or you know, I guess last two weeks, it's been pretty good. Um, I was gone, like I said, during this past week camping, but got a lot of editing done. Right now, my, my book one, 
is uh, up to 65,374 words. So that's up about almost 3,800 words since we last spoke. And a lot of that's just adding uh, little sections here and there. I think I may have written one new scene in there, but uh, it, it's not much. I'm getting right, cl right close to the end. Uh, I'm due to send this off, as I'll talk about a little bit later, to the editor on Wednesday. That's my drop dead date with her. Uh, in order to, to meet her schedule. So this thing's gonna be out the door and I'll, I'll roll into working on something else while she's handling that edit. I haven't really read much in the last three weeks, which is kind of the shocker. I didn't take much reading with me on the camping trip and I should have. I thought I, I did spend most of my time editing, but at night I, I stay up late because I, uh, I just don't sleep as well as my wife does. She goes to bed early, like 10, 10 o'clock. I, if I go to bed at 10 o'clock, I'm up at two or three and I can't fall back asleep. So I usually try to push myself till one or so in the morning. And I ran out of reading material really quick. So I listened to podcasts instead, which I happened to download a whole bunch before I went. So I didn't have to rely on, the, on having access to a satellite in order to do that. But one book I did read was by Kristen Catherine Rush, short stories called Five Diverse Detectives. It was pretty good. She wrote five, and this is one of those collections that her and Dean put together periodically for their Kickstarter campaigns where they draw on, on short stories that they've written in the past, many of which have been published in you know uh, places like uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents or Ellery Queen or something like that, those magazines, mystery magazines. So that was pretty good. Look, looking at uh, detectives, only one of which, which I recall think was a professional detective and the rest of them were amateurs so it gave me some ideas of you know potentially for future stories so that was good but that that up the, the total read, uh, books read for the year to 15 and a little bit over 5,000 pages 5,056 uh, 5, pages for the year so I think at this point in the year I'm a little bit behind if I'm going to try to hit a goal of 50 or 60 books but I think I'll catch up especially once I get this book one out the door Father Brown's Watched a lot of Father Browns, especially when I wasn't feeling well. I'm down to 43 left out of the 100 that they've uh, uh, put out there wow. so far. So I'm, I, I guess I watched over three weeks, about 23 of them, which when you break it down, it's not all that many. It's basically one a night. So that, that's not too bad. I don't feel too you bad are about that. You speeding through that, though. You are yeah, fast yeah, through that. Yeah. Well, there's another series that I'm anxious to get back to that, that's on BBC, uh, the Brit Box, called Shakespeare and Hathaway which are a couple of uh, two private detectives, uh, a male and a female, and they, they do similar kinds of things to what you would see in Father Brown, uh, only it's set in modern day instead of you know, post-war era. So they just dropped a new season for 2022 on that, so I'm interested in getting back to that. So once these Father Browns are done, that'll become my new, my new go-to. Ink, I went through the ink while I was gone because it's amazing when you don't have internet access, you can't be distracted by Facebook or Twitter or anything else that when you sit down and you start to edit those typed out pages that uh, you can spill a lot of ink trying to move <laughs> things around, smooth out the, the, the verbiage, the prose that you have there, make the conversations a little bit more realistic. Uh, never really wholesale rewrote anything, but tightened up a lot of stuff. And, and by tightening up, I mean, uh, actually added words in order to make transitions more seamless and to make it a little bit smoother uh, instead of just dropping new ideas that, out of the blue. And, and you wrote those in ink before getting them into the computer? Originally, but the, uh, my, in my first draft I did. But that was, the first draft was uh, just a little bit over 40,000 words. Uh, so, yeah, I wasn't 
wasn't quite as bad. And usually what I do when I am first drafting is I, I write longhand for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, I write longhand. And at the end of a writing session, I'll just turn right around and type that in. So it doesn't take long to type in a couple thousand, two, three thousand words that you've written out longhand. You know, you get it done in a half hour or whatever. Wow, is that right? Yeah, probably about half hour. Uh, my handwriting is so bad I couldn't do it. Do you well, write, I, do you print or is it cursive? Uh, <laughs> depends on the day. It's usually cursive because I find, uh, I print more legibly as most people do, but uh, it, it takes longer to do it. So I, I do, and I don't have bad handwriting. It's just that it's, it's a kind of handwriting that if you studied it and you looked hard, you could interpret it, but it's mainly interpretable by me. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I've, I've been told two things. My wife will tell has, has told me in the past, or not my wife, uh, my mother has told me in the past about how bad my handwriting is compared to hers, and it really is. And then I've been in, in coffee shops where people have looked over and have commented how good my handwriting is. Mainly, I think, because nobody does cursive anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a, a, bunch, it's a bunch, bunch of college of, kids looking over trying to figure out what language you're writing in. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. So that's, that's my recap for the last three weeks. Uh, not very detailed. I mean, there wasn't a lot of different things that I've done last week. I've really been pushing hard to try to get this manuscript in as good a shape as possible because I don't want to uh, see the editor I'm sending it to to have to struggle with it too much. Okay. So uh, let's talk about our week. And, and I think you might talk about more than just a week, but let me run through mine here pretty quick. It's, as I said to you before the podcast, I can't wait to go back to, to work tomorrow so I can relax a little bit because this weekend has just been a constant running. Um, so last Sunday, I, um, okay. So last Sunday, uh, in the evening after I podcasted, I spent about an hour, hour and a half watching videos on how to write 100 word stories because the 100 word story contest was this weekend. It, it basically was yesterday. And, um, I came up with this idea and I did not know the genre. I didn't know that until 1159 Friday night, 1159 Eastern time PM Friday night. Uh, I didn't know the action. So you get a genre, you get an actual action and you get a word and you have to work all three of those into your story, but it's only a hundred words and a hundred words. is not very many. Um, I think it's about 250 words per page of a paperback. So really it's about 40% of a paperback uh, page. So it is very low. Uh, my idea revolved around the first time two people say I love you to each other. And it's an unexpected I love you to each other. Don't get too excited about what I'm about to say because I did not use any of it. Um, but I wrote out while I was watching these videos, a, a kind of a temporary story. I took a bunch of notes on what you should do at the beginning, the end, the middle, you know, don't, you know, show, don't tell, but use really tight metaphors to, to save the words, you know, things like that. Um, had a whole page and a half word doc. It was like 350 pages in my word doc about my 100 word story. I'm sorry, 355 words, not pages. That's, that's a lot. Um, and, and where were you getting these ideas from? So I was just watching different YouTube videos on, oh, okay. on uh, like micro fiction or flash fiction or literally 100 word story fiction that people would talk about. I think one of the ones I always go to is Reed C. I think her name is Shailene. I think she, she used to have a, right. a channel by herself, her own channel years ago. I used to watch her all the time. And then all of a sudden she just popped up. I, she's, you know, she's working for Reed Z now. So she did one. And there was another guy I found. I don't remember his name um, who also did three or four videos on uh, flash fiction. So, and I was just, everybody, that, every video I'd watch would be 10, 15 minutes and I would just take notes. Um, and then I kind of consolidated the notes into beginning, middle and end. And then in between those sections, I wrote like my beginning, my middle and my end, knowing that what my genre would determine my ending because I wanted to have a nice twist ending. I wanted to leave it open-ended. 
Um, and I knew, okay, the genre would, will determine my ending. If it's a, a space, you know, sci-fi aliens come down, which that's really generic and I wouldn't actually do that, but that's kind of where I was going with it. If it's a, if it's a, a mystery, um, leave it open ended with like a crime. Did a crime just happen? And, and really what I was going to do was I was going to have uh, character one say, I love you. Character two say, I love you. Character one say, what about your husband? Character two say, what about your wife? And then the ending would be something like a deal had been struck and I was going to leave it there. Right. And uh, yeah, and that was kind of where I was going with it. So I was very excited about it. Um, I even, I even heroes journeyed my, you know, my seven or eight lines. And I literally found almost every part of the hero's journey in my plot. The, except for there were like two or three at the very end that I that I hadn't found. I really didn't look that hard, but I knew the genre would determine those. So mm -hmm. uh, I was ready. Oh boy, was I ready. We'll, we'll get to why I did not write any of that um, Saturday. So <laughs> I want to get to Saturday, but it was really fun. It was really interesting to see how it works. I saw a lot of examples. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So that was my Sunday night. Monday, uh, I worked all day and then did nothing to relate it to writing. I don't even remember what I actually did. It, it's, it was, uh, you know, it was April. Let's see, let's just get the date out there. April 18th when I woke up on Monday morning and it was snowing like you wouldn't believe. Um, it was snowing like it was February. Um, I was sending out emails back and forth for our golf league because I run the golf league saying, we're going to golf tomorrow if the place is open. Just if, if they're open, prepare to show up. And a lot of people are texting or emailing or texting me, are, are we really going to golf? And I just write back, I don't make the decision. If the course is open, we golf. So I sent an email out around noon and I said, okay, we're going to golf. Don't, please don't text me at 4.30 and ask me if we're going to golf. I, I'm, I'll be driving there. I have no idea. If it's open, we're golfing. But a half an hour later, the guy who was like the de facto president of the league called me and said, yeah, let's go ahead and cancel tomorrow. And I was like, okay no big deal to me so then he sent the email out canceling it so uh, and it was snowing so hard on monday it was awful that's terrible uh, yeah it, it was, was bad. it wasn't monday i think it was uh may have been tuesday or wednesday it was 95 degrees in oklahoma oh, so <laughs> yeah it's amazing and um and uh so i did nothing related to writing monday night i don't remember what i did monday night i'm sure it was related to my golf simulator whatever it was because i you know i built my computer that i bought all the parts for and i it's sitting over there on my table right now and I got it all set up and ready to go. So I still haven't used it yet. And we'll get to why on that one in a minute. Um, so that was Monday, Tuesday morning. I woke up and guess what? It was snowing really hard again. Um, but by, by the middle of the afternoon, the snow had stopped. It was still 35 degrees outside, 30 degrees outside. I went to hothead. Like always I finished chapter seven. I'm now walking into the hothead burrito and, you know, you walk into the burrito place and you walk to one side of the counter where they start. It's like Subway. They, they start making it at one side. You walk down the line and then you pay at the other end. And literally, as I'm standing there, there are people behind me in line. And the girl running the catch register just yells out my order to the girl who was going to make my burrito. All I did was just keep my head down. I just pointed to the girl as she's giving my order out. And I'm just going. Yep. <laughs> the people behind me had to be wondering what is going on here, because I go in there so much now they know what I get. And it's, it's kind of fun. That reminds me when I was uh, living in Virginia, I had just finished my PhD or I was actually, no, I hadn't finished my PhD. I was working on it, but I was also employed by the extension service. And I was, I was working really hard at a project. I had a lot of reports out. I was basically doing 16 hour days. And I went to this little restaurant, a little Chinese restaurant, two times a day to eat. I went there for lunch. I went there for wow. dinner. And I would walk in and I didn't even have, to, I didn't even ask. I sat down, they brought me my food. They, they knew what I was going to eat. I think I said to her as she was cooking the food or putting the burrito together, I think I said, you know, it's my dream to come in here one day and not have to say a word and you guys just give me food. 
yeah. So I did work my way through chapter seven. This is again, this was, um, this was not the reread yet. This is me going through that first time and um, taking what I had written and based on all the plotting I did over the last few weeks, actually basically rewriting chapter seven to get all those notes in and all those things I needed. And chapter seven was a tough one. There was an, um, there was a big argument. This was a big turning point for my main character. There's a lot going on in this, about 3,500 words. And I was able to finish it. Wednesday, I went to lunch at my normal sub place. Uh, I got about halfway finished with chapter eight. Again, this is that first rewrite, about halfway finished through it. Um, and then Thursday came, uh, oh no, Wednesday. Okay, let's talk about Wednesday real quick. <clears throat> I had joined a golf league about three weeks ago. I signed up on the list for Wednesday night golf league. And I signed up late. Um, I was like the 36th person to sign up. And for the first two weeks, no one called me. I didn't think I made it in the league. I thought maybe I signed up too late. Nothing happened. So this past Wednesday, which was the actual real first night of the league, I got a call at 357 from a buddy of mine, Brad, who's in the league. And he said, hey, you golfing tonight? And I said, what time? And he said, four. And I went, oh, that's three minutes from now. Luckily, I live about eight minutes from the course. So I said, I'll see you at 430. So I was there, played my first nine holes of the year. I hadn't played anything since December 26th. Did not play well for the first three or four uh, holes and then kind of settled down and finished strong. So I was very happy with the way it went. I was happy with the way I was swinging my club. We don't need to get into my score because it doesn't really matter. Was there still snow on the ground? No, thank God. It, it was probably so it, it was the first day where it hadn't rained in a while. Um, and it, it didn't, I, I don't think it rained in the morning at all. So we were dry it, now it got down to about 32, 33. No, it was probably 38, 39 degrees. And we were on the seventh hole and it started raining and we were not happy. It was freezing cold. And it, there's this giant rainbow that popped up because the sun came out way on the other side as it was starting to set. And, uh, it was really nice. And then on the ninth hole, it kind of slowed down for us to let us finish. And we were the second to the last group. So I'm sure the last group also finished, but I was just happy to get out and swing the club. Um, we uh, it went well. My son and I golfed last summer when we or two summers ago when we were taking him out to California to start his PhD program. Uh, we stopped in Utah at a campground that had its own golf course. Oh, a nice. Nine, a nine hole golf course. And we golfed, we went out, we were the only ones on the course because it was about 40 degrees and the wind was blowing about 50 miles an hour sideways but it was the most fun we've ever had had golfing because you basically would play for a huge slice because you knew the wind was going to bring it back and right. it, it was it was a blast it was like it was almost like that scene in caddyshack where the the uh, priest and bill murray are playing in the in the thunderstorm mm -hmm. that was kind of what it was like it was like can you survive long enough to get to the to the last hole and it's almost like trick shots. You're, you're aiming 45 degrees left, knowing that if you hit it correctly, the wind will pull it right back into the middle, right, which kind of right. sounds like fun. So, um, so I ended up golfing that night, got home around eight and really didn't do much the rest of the night. But uh, at lunch, I did get about halfway through chapter eight of the rewrite. And uh, again, that's another big, that's another big chapter. There's more going on there. That's the one where my character goes from, uh, it's basically the refusal of the call to the acceptance of the call happening both, both, uh, the beginning and the end of that chapter. So I really need to make sure that I did it right. And I'm you know happy with the way it turned out Thursday. Okay. So Thursday was kind of strange. I had a dentist appointment at two 30 and I don't know if I've said this before, but I make all my dentist appointments for two 30 because the joke is what's a favorite dentist, favorite time of the day, two 30, get it two 30, get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <get> I tell, <laughs> I tell the person who is making my appointment that joke every single time. And they always laugh, probably just 
pretending to think it's funny because I've said it so many times at that place. So I had a dentist appointment at two 30. So I had to work, work through my lunch because I had to make up the hour that I was missing for the dentist appointment. Um, and, uh, I, I basically worked through chapter eight. Wait, what did I do here? Blah, 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 blah. I couldn't write at lunch. So, oh yeah, I went to Chick-fil-A after work. I forgot about that. I went to Chick-fil-A after work because I knew I wouldn't be going Saturday morning. Uh, so I went to Chick-fil-A on, on Thursday night and, and it was funny, the woman who, you know, they always have people that kind of walk around and clean your, clean your trays or take your trays or offer you mints or whatever. Uh, I was sitting down and getting my laptop out and she kind of looked at me and said, you're going to confuse me. And I said, I know it's an evening thing. What am I doing here on the evening? So again, people know me there too. So the question um, is, what was she doing there in the evening? If yeah, she, she, she is, yeah. if she's usually at breakfast, that's a yeah, long that's a good day. question. Yeah. That's a good question actually. Um, yeah. Um, so I finished up chapter eight and I worked, I, I put everything through Grammarly, um, got it ready. And I, and I said, I'm calling this act one, basically, if it's a three act play or a four act play, this is act one. Um, it's finished and it ends with my character doing the whole crossing the threshold. Actually, the very next scene opens with him walking through a door, which is basically crossing, crossing the threshold, uh, based on the hero's journey. So, uh, that's why I decided to go back and reread from one through eight. Let's get through act one. Let's get through that, that beginning hook. And uh, and see where you know how it feels, how it looks. So. Right. The um, I noticed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that you mentioned you had purchased Grammarly again. What made you go with Grammarly instead of Pro Writing Aid? Um, I like it. I know it. Uh, I've been using it for years. So when okay. it came time for me to purchase it, I just went with that one. Plus, it works on the Noveler uh, software because it's. I, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why the Atticus program doesn't work properly with Grammarly because it's just a web page that the, I have a Grammarly extension in my, my, my uh, Chrome and you'd think it would just work like everything else, but it had problems with Grammarly. Uh, Dave even said it 20 books last year that the Grammarly people are not real responsive when it comes to working with, with him. I don't know if it's working with him or just working with other people overall, Yeah. but um, I just decided to go with it because I knew it and there's always promo codes for it. So I got it relatively okay. cheap. And, uh, and I, I, I really, in fact, now it's a, I don't know if it's easier than it was when I used it last, which was for the book I published in 2020, but I will say that it is really easy to use. I just, I, I control a, and then control C the entire chapter from Noveler, move it into Grammarly. I go through it and what, what it does is you can actually, you know, click on it. You can fix things really easy and then you can copy it right back into Noveler just by control and control C again. And it's really, really easy. It's a lot easier than it was. I, again, I don't know if it's the same. I just know that right now it's easier for me than it was two years ago. So there's no integration between uh, Noveler and Grammarly. You actually have to copy back and forth. Okay. Well, but I will say, yes, that's true if you want to. Um, but Grammarly will, you know, I have a Chrome extension. So as I'm writing in Noveler, it's watching what I'm writing and making those same suggestions to me. I just like copying it over there and seeing it as a whole going oh, okay. through, because it, it gives you in, in the webpage itself, if you go to grammarly.com and paste it in there, you get all those uh, suggestions in a nice um, view on the side and you can click through them one at a time and you can either click fix or dismiss their suggestion. And then once you get through everything, you'll be at 99% to hundred and you can just copy it right back into um, into Noveler and okay. all the formatting stays the same. And, and, uh, it's just, it's really easy for me to use. So does Grammarly make style suggestions as well? Because that's, uh, give, me, know, give me an example. Well, I mean, say you, you've written a particularly clunky sentence that could mm -hmm. be, could be written in a, in a more tighter uh, way. The prose could be tightened up. Does Grammarly, uh, make suggestions on how to change those or is it just flag it as a kind of a clunky sentence? 
it, it makes a suggestion on everything that it finds. So, okay. you know, a lot of I start a lot of sentences and by a lot, I mean a very small percentage, but more than one per chapter with um, because of this comma, this happened instead of this happened because of this. And it will come up and it will say, you need to rewrite this. You shouldn't start this with a phrase and then a comma. And then it'll just rewrite it. All you have to do is click fix and it just fixes it for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, or you click dismiss. But it also will, like I told it, please do not fix the Oxford comma for me. I don't like the Oxford comma. Please right. do not fix it. And it ignores it wherever I, I leave it out, which is okay. every so it's, time. it's pretty much, it sounds like it's pretty much like pro writing aid yeah. in, in the way it handles that. It, it gives you an opportunity to, to see what it's suggesting and then you can choose whether or not to to incorporate it right and very Except, rarely do i ever use something other than the suggestion they give i just I, I use it and if i'll read it and if it doesn't sound right to me then i'll go ahead and ignore it or i'll rewrite it myself but i mean it's probably nine out of ten times even 19 out of 20 times i just use what they suggest right, right. and uh it always sounds better grammarly is smarter than me so right so that was, let's see, that was Friday. Let's see, at Hothead. Okay, so Friday night at Hothead, I went through the first eight chapters. This is where I started the reread. So I started right at chapter one. Found a lot of problems with chapter one in terms of just like, you know, at one point at the very end, I had written that a character closed their eyes and the very next chapter uh, paragraph I wrote, they closed their eyes. And it's like, well, they already closed their eyes. They can't close them again. So I found a couple of things like that, just some things I missed in chapter one when I was rereading it. Um, and then chapter two and three, I started going through those. Um, let's see, well, how far did I get? Uh, I get through the first three chapters on Friday night. So this again, this is my reread. So Friday night through the first three chapters, <clears throat> Saturday, I, so I was getting my 100 word stuff in, uh, at 11.59 Friday night. So I went to bed. I woke up at like 2, 2.30, came downstairs and saw that I'd gotten a new email and thought, okay, let's see what I have at least. And I ended up with historical fiction as my genre, which I'm sure I would enjoy reading because I love history. I've never written it. And the last thing I want to do is have to sit and research, but you have to research for historical fiction. It's, it's got to be correct. Um, they gave a really nice description of each genre though. So you could go read um, what, what they expect out of you. Uh, so that helped a lot. Um, I did not know how to take the scene that I had I'd written basically earlier that week to apply it to historical fiction. Um, so I just kind of, okay, I, I kind of put it aside for a little while. Did they I had to you, add it. Did they give you a time period or did they, Yeah, you get 24 hours. The, no, in terms of the uh, the history. Oh, was no, there a part, dude, okay. Whatever you, um, it did say in the description for historical fiction that it's considered historical fiction if it's more than 25 years old. Okay. So my mom said, you could just sit them in the eighties. You grew up in the eighties. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to consider the eighties to be historical. That, right. that hurts me. So that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. So um, my thought was old West, but I feel like that's cliche. I feel like a lot of people would go to old West cause it's, I think it's really popular. And I, uh, my first three science fiction books all took, had parts of it that took place in the old West. I have a great book on how to write fiction in the old West, this big hardback book that I have that I love uh, that I could have used for research if I wanted to, but I wanted to do something different. So, but I wasn't right. sure what at that point, I wasn't sure what. If I, if sight unseen and not knowing what people submitted, I don't know if you could see everything that people submitted, but I would, I would guess off the top of my head that the, the two categories that they got most was Regency and Victorian period fiction, because those are, you know, the Victorian period would be for the classic kind of Sherlock Holmes whodunit murder mysteries. And then the Regency, of course, is, is right there in the sweet spot of, uh, of historical romance right now. I mean, that's Bridgerton and basically every right. other thing on Netflix is, right. is that. So um, I will tell you, 
in a minute what I got. So I'm gonna tell you how I got there. It's, I, I kind of thought it was funny. Um, I had to have the action of someone drawing a heart. So somewhere in my story, someone had to draw a heart. And I, I put my story, Rich, in the bottom of this um, in the bottom of this um, outline. Did you look at it or not? No, no. I okay, good, 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 good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it later. So okay. And then the word bone had to be included somewhere in there in there too. B O N E. So those were my three um, things that I had to do: historical fiction, drawing a heart, and bone. And I really, I mean, I went back to bed. I fell asleep pretty quick, but I was thinking about it. While I was laying there. I had no idea. I was so disappointed that it, it was really going to make it tough for my story. But then I kind of realized, well, you know, I'll keep that story handy because if I make it to round two, maybe I can use it then because I think it's a really good idea. I just um, wasn't able to use it here. So I uh, woke up in the morning. I was supposed to have a 10 o'clock tea time uh, at the course that I play on Saturdays and Sundays during the summer. And of course, it rained all night Friday and Mother Nature still hates me. So we moved it to noon. Um, and it was going to be 85 degrees on Saturday. We'll keep that in mind. Um, so I, I ended up, I got up early cause I was planning on a 10 o'clock tea time. So between for that two hour period that I was still sitting at home, I actually went through chapter. Oh, what chapter did I go through? I don't even know four I had. Okay. So I had to rewrite the opening paragraph of chapter four so that it described this plant. This was my first opportunity to really describe this plant. And I wanted to add, I wanted to make it a real hose plant based on what I know about hose plants. Um, I didn't also want it to be one long paragraph that was just a, this was over here and these machines were over here and these people did this over here. So I added in some dialogue. I had a little fun with it. I had my, my main character and the love interest kind of flirt a little bit right there, having some fun with it, talking about music and a couple of other things. So uh, I was very happy with the way that it came out and I was able to get through chapter four before I had to leave for the golf course. Although I knew that it would have to be reread. I, I kind of went through it fast, but I knew I was gonna have to go through it and reread it one more time, which I ended up doing um, earlier today. So went to the golf course and ended up, the score that I had 18 holes wasn't that great. It was, it was 96. My goal is to always break 90 and get into the eighties, but I, I was actually swinging the club pretty well. I just had a couple of really bad holes. I couldn't get it. It's soaking wet. This course is car path only. So you can't, you can't drive off the cart path, which means if you're on the left side of the fairway on most holes or the left rough, it's a long walk through basically just swamp. I mean, the, right. the this course is in a low spot in Northeast Ohio. It's way up near the PA border. And, um, when it rains, you know, a couple of holes, they'll, they'll close them because it just gets so bad. Well, I'll tell you, when it rains like that and the courses are wet, you can autom almost automatically add six strokes to your score yeah. just because your ball's not rolling and it's plugging and doing all kinds of other oh. things that are going to really mess you The up. number of times we had to dig a plugged ball out of the ground, especially the fun one is the green. You hit it on the green, and it, they call it a fried egg. It gets, you get up there and it's halfway deep into the green. So, uh, but it was good. I, I swung the club pretty well. My driver, my off the tee is always the one I struggle with the most. And I actually hit it pretty well for the most part, a couple bad ones, but hit it pretty well. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about like going forward into the summer. Cause I feel like I'm already hitting my clubs better at the beginning of this summer than I was last summer. And I did pretty well last year. So um, and I don't know if you can tell on the video or not, but I'm very sunburnt right now. Um, I had to yeah. go out and buy a couple of hats because my mom will freak out um, if I don't. So I had to go buy a couple of hats, which I did today. Um, got home around six, ate some dinner. So my dad and my mom went to a, I don't know if you know what a 33 party is at the Amvets. No. Um, so there's a, there's a, a gambling thing they, that most places like that will do where they, you get 32 people, each person picks an NFL team. And then every week, if that NFL team scores 33 points, you win the pot. 
And if nobody scores 33, it goes on to the next week. And the reason they did this was back in the day before two point conversions and 38 yard extra points where they used to be just 17 yards. Um, 33 was a number that did not get hit very often. Right. And now it gets hit every week because there's two point conversions and missed two point conversions and all the, all the rule changes. Well, well, but is this 33 as a final score or. Yeah. 30... For one team. Yeah. For yeah, a final for score. Mm-hmm. It still seems like an odd number that one that wouldn't hit very often. It's, it's definitely, it's three touchdowns and four field goals is 33. Mm-hmm. But nowadays with the, in the NFL, you can go for a two point conversion and miss it or make it. And then that puts you off of it right. uh, pretty quick. And that happens a lot, you know, these, these days in the NFL. So, right. but my dad brought me home like this giant styrofoam container of food, like pulled pork and steak and chicken. And my mom gave me some potatoes and some brownies and some cookies. It was wonderful. And I ate, uh, you know, I didn't have to actually go. I was really, I was literally on my way home from golf thinking, what am I going to do for dinner? Like I probably spent half the drive thinking, what am I going to do for dinner? Cause I have to write this story and, and it's, I'm already going to get home at like six, six 30 and I have to submit it by 1159. And then I walked in to get my dog and I said, Oh yeah, we brought you food. And I was like, ah, perfect. It's great. Yeah. So I came home and I wrote the 100 word story. So let me tell you what I actually wrote. Um, I'm not going to read it yet. I'll read it at the end of the podcast, but I was at the golf course with two guys who are retired from where I used to work. Uh, and this one guy, he's in his mid seventies and in the winter, he drives with his wife to Arizona in a motorhome, And then they ride bikes like 30 to 60 miles a day. And this guy is hilarious. He's fun and he's funny. And he's, he's one of my favorite. He, he golfs in our golf league. So I'll see him every Tuesday. And he used to work, he retired many years ago from where I used to work. Um, But on on his way back from Arizona, they actually would stop and ride bikes. I remember, uh, to give you an idea who this guy is, probably eight or nine years ago, he actually flew to San Diego and then rode a bike back to Ohio. Oh, wow. That's it. He literally rode the bike back. That's how he rode back. And it took him like three months or whatever it was. And he blogged about it, which was pretty cool. So that's what they did. Well, he told me, he said, you know, we did a lot of bike riding in Memphis and New Orleans and just all these different places in the South. He said, we saw a lot of civil war things, you know, you ought to write it in the civil war. And I thought, well, how am I going to get maybe, and I started thinking brother versus brother. That's interesting. Cause I can still work in my, I love you kind of. And I thought, what if I write it from the mother's point of view of having two sons who are fighting the civil war and I'll stop it at there and, and I'll talk about it. Uh, uh, when I, I, read I it, like I that premise it. already. Yeah. yeah I, I, again, I needed to have a twist. My whole thing was have an open ending with a twist. The last line needs to have the reader go, Oh, I wonder what happened next. You know, that kind right. of thing. So, right. Um, one of the tips that somebody gave when I was watching the, the videos on hundred word stories was it, it, it can be a, a part of a bigger scene. So it doesn't have to be a story from start to finish. It can be a part of a bigger scene that still, you know, feels like a story. So that's kind of how I, I wrote it. Right. And then today, so today I got up and, Boy, I, I, our tea time was 7.52 a.m. Uh, I drove up and golfed and everything had to be timed right today because I knew I had a lot of things to do and I had to fit everything into my timing correctly. I asked you, can we switch the podcast from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., which we did. I appreciate that. Um, got back from golf around, I think it was around 1 o'clock and um, home. I actually was 1.30. I showered really quick and then I went to my mom and dad's real quick and then I went to Panera to finish uh, continue writing. I worked all the way through scene seven. So now all I have left in my reread is scene eight, and then I will get to the writing again. Um, so I'm all the way through scene seven today and, uh, felt good about it. And then I went to the grocery store and back to my mom and dad's came home and got some dinner. And then we started up now. So it's been a, like, like I, like I said earlier, I just can't wait for work to start tomorrow so I can sit and relax for a few hours because it's yeah. just been nonstop. Every, every week when you recap 
what you've done the past week, it always exhausts me because you do so much. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it sounds like you're constantly on the go. Yeah. And, and half the time, you don't even talk about what you're doing at work because, you know, most of the day you're working. Yeah. And my work is actually like, I actually, because I work from home every day, which that will change, but because I work from home every day and I really like what I do and it's, 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 there's not a lot of stress in that job. Um, it does feel like I'm just relaxing. I'm just kind of sitting back in my chair and I'm just writing computer programs, which I love. So, right. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that was my week. Okay. Well, my recap is, is kind of short and sweet just because it was really repetitive day in and day out when you're camping. You know, basically you're getting up in the morning, you're making yourself something to eat on a camp stove or on a fire pit, which I did a little bit of each, you know, can't, uh, and then cleaning up. So that's usually between an hour and two hour long job for each meal that you, that you have. And then basically what I did was just sit around and edit. My wife would either, you know, sit around, she takes sewing with her. She sews for charity. She sews quilts and she sews some other, you know, right now she's working on a bunch of, uh, Christmas stockings that are going to be used uh, at you know, children's homes and things like that coming up this Christmas. So we just kind of sat around camp or we went out sightseeing this place in Oklahoma we went to, Wichita Mountains uh, Wildlife Refuge. Uh, has a, uh, it's like 60,000 acres. It has wild herds of bison out there and elk and you know deer, of course, and a couple of really big prairie dog populations. So it's kind of a fun place to go. That's kind of stuff that you... Especially if you thought you might want to one day write a Western or something just to go and, and sit, sit there in the midst of the wind blow, howling 30 miles an hour along the Oklahoma Plains and get a sense for what it, would, what it would have been like to actually have settled out there back in the day. What do you uh, camp in and did you see any of those animals? Did you see bison? Oh, we saw them all. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, we saw them. Yeah. Well, what do they, you camp they, in? I have a, uh, I, I made myself a camping trailer. I had an old uh, five by eight foot cargo trailer with the sheet metal you know over it and i took stripped the sheet metal off used the the tubular steel that was there as superstructure extended the bed out to 11 feet a little bit short or a little bit over 11 feet and then basically built a cabin on it so it looks wow. if you see me going down the road it looks well people one of two things people recognize it as a camping cabin because it literally looks like a cabin i use mahogany it's, oh, wow. it's, it's shiplap. So in between each board, there's a little, there's a little recessed spot. So it almost looks like it's a log cabin. Uh, the other half of the people think it's a taco wagon. So, <laughs> <laughs> which, which it could be, I guess, I guess you could see something like that. But yeah, I, it, it, I'm impressive. My, yeah. My dad passed away in 2015 and I needed something to, to, as a project to kind of keep my mind off it. It's the same year I retired. So I, I, I just I worked on that probably for the better part of the year because I had to do everything two and three times because I didn't know what I was doing or things things went wrong and I had to redo them. But uh, yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's lightweight. I've got I drive a pickup truck, so it, it's easy to pull behind the pickup truck. I think it maybe weighs about thirty five hundred pounds, um, and it's not too long, so it's 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 easy to to. And then you just pull into a campground, you just back it into the spot, and you're set. You know, you don't have to put up a tent and all that kind of thing. So that was fun. And it's got air conditioning and heating in it too, which is really important. Oh, nice. Yeah, when that you're is down nice. here. Yeah. Uh, so day in and day out while we were gone, I was editing. I would usually get through, and I, I know I, it sounds like I've been editing this book forever, and I really have been editing it forever. But the thing is, I go over chapters again and again and again. So I'm not just going a one pass at it. But right now, at least on the on the front half of the book, I'm probably have edited some of these chapters five, six times at least. Uh, so 
I, I'm right now I'm getting down to the end of finishing the the latter part of the book. Uh, I would get, you know, maybe two, three chapters a day because I'm kind of slow at it. Basically, I think I mentioned this before to you. I, I'll be sitting there editing and I'll be kind of, you know, I immerse myself in the world. Everything else goes away. I don't, I don't really sense that anything is happening around me. I immerse myself in the world and sometimes I get lost in there and I just... I find myself, I'll realize I'm not really doing anything. I'm just thinking through different scenarios that the characters might have done instead of what they just did. And it's kind of a, a weird thing that uh, happens to me. It's almost like getting lost in a movie where you become so engrossed in it that you think you're part of the movie. Um, so that kind of slows me down a little bit. But I, I was happy with the progress I made. Like I said, I put it, uh, almost an additional 4,000 words into the story and tightened a lot of stuff up. Uh, but not as tight as I would like, which is what I'll get to it in a second here. The other thing I did, and actually started this before I left, is I started doing a dramatic reading of the story to my wife. Uh, she's She always wants to hear these stories. She wants them the second I've written the first draft, and I just don't want to show first drafts to anybody. And so, But I got the first part of the book to the point where I'm not embarrassed about sharing it. So I started doing a dramatic reading, and at least for her, I don't know if she's just doing this or she really thinks that the stories are good, but yeah, she's she's so enthusiastic about wanting to hear what comes next that it gives me a little bit, a little bit of a lift and you know, wanting to continue with the editing, continue with the storytelling. So I've been doing that. That does a couple of things. Number one, it'd be amazing, you'd be amazed at the number of times that you, even though I've gone over them five, six, seven times by myself, when you start reading it, you realize that you've dropped out a the or an a or something weird like that that again you would think the editing programs would pick up because it really makes the sentence nonsensical in a way but at the same time i then realized that you know those programs really can't do that because if you're writing in a vernacular or a dialect or something those programs are, re are really good at letting you do that when and they recognize that you're doing that when you use certain kinds of words so dropping an article uh, here and there would be something that a foreign speaker of English would do quite frequently. So I, I guess I can understand why they doesn't pick those up. But it makes it a little bit uh, frustrating sometimes when you spend so much time on it and then you still come across those mistakes. But I guess it also argues for the fact that every story needs to see an editor that's actually looking yeah. for those that kind of stuff. Which led led me partly to the the big epiphany I had this past week while I was out there camping. Like I said earlier, I couldn't get distracted by Facebook or Twitter or anything. I've decided that what I'm what I'm going to do with this book with uh, our editor C B Moore is ask her to do a developmental edit on it instead of a copy edit, which is what I originally contracted her to do. Uh, I I got a hold of her as soon as I got back uh, yesterday and asked her if it was you know possible if it would fit into her schedule and she said yeah no problem um she she likes doing development developmental editing i didn't realize that she's ghost written a, a number of mystery books herself oh nice yeah so I, I i'm looking forward to seeing what she what she thinks about the story because i'm pretty confident in the story in general but this is the first time i've written a story that's multiple pov i'm writing third person limited but I have four POVs in the story. And I generally handle that by switching POV from scene to scene or chapter to chapter, mostly chapter to chapter. But what I've found as I'm going through this on this last go around before I send it off to her is that 
as I get closer and closer to the end of the book, the number of POVs I'm focusing on gets smaller and smaller. So that by the end of the book, I'm really only in one POV. And I really don't know what to think about that. If that is, is okay, if, uh, if it makes sense the way the story is uh, being carried out, that it should only be in one POV. So I'm, a, I'm interested to see what she says. So now kind of what, how does that work with, I've never, I mean, my mom was my developmental editor and we went through it chapter by chapter and it was my mom. It was a lot different than somebody that actually paid. Does she go through the entire book at one time and then send you her thoughts or do you work with her on that? The way, well, the way it's going to go, I believe, uh, from our discussion and from actually from what she has on her web, web page as well, is that she'll take the whole book, the whole story, she'll go through it and she will give you structural suggestions. Uh, and depending on the need, uh, you could get anywhere from a, a, a few a few suggestions through the story, kind of in the margins kind of stuff, or you can get a full-blown mini multiple page report out of her about how she thinks this thing needs to be broken down and reassembled. So that that's the interesting thing I, I want to see. I want to see what she really comes up with, because this is kind of the style in which I write. Uh, the story itself stylistically is pretty much is similar to everything else I've always written, except like I said, it's in multiple POV, kind of like a, I can't think of any real, um, real close comparison in the pure murder mystery genre. Maybe some of the stuff by Ellie Griffiths, where she will often switch between her main protagonist, which is a, uh, a, a woman and a male uh, co-protagonist, I guess, a, or sidekick, uh, given that Udemy kind of structure, uh, she'll, she'll go back and forth. But I've never, the only stories I've read, at least recently, that has so many POVs in it are the stories by uh, Carl Hyacin, who usually has four or five main characters. And you're seeing, and this story is progressing out over time, and these characters are dropping in and out of the, of the plot and you're seeing what's happening from their perspective. So it, it was something I wanted to do. I wanted to stretch it a little bit, myself a little bit, to see if I could handle this. It's complicated. It's more complicated because I don't plot, and I, I just pants the whole thing as I go through, wow. which means I have to go back a lot. I have to cycle back a lot to put things in. Uh, it definitely has taught me or has suggested that the next book, if I'm going to go with this multiple POV approach, I'm definitely going to have to plot it. And in fact, I'm going to... One of the things I'm going to do, and I'll talk about that. Uh, I guess I can talk about that. Let's see, is that my goals? No, it'll be, it'll be up a little bit. Well, it is in my goals. I've kind of dropped back on my goals a little bit to, instead of uh, publishing maybe four books this year, I'm going to really shoot for three plus one novella. And the very next thing I'm going to do once I send this thing out to see on Wednesday is start work on that novella, and that novella I'm going to plot. And we'll see how that goes. And because it's a novella, I can't have four or five POVs but I will attempt to have at least two so I can get a feel for what it's like to try to plot when you've got this alternating perspective going through the story. Is, is that novella in the same world? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, all, all these novels this year will be in the same world. Okay. And then, and then if they receive you know, a halfway decent uh, reception, I'll, I'll keep them in the same world. They're the same protagonist. It's kind of, you know, the, it's the, again, the murder she wrote, Father Brown kind of pers perspective where you've got the same... Uh, main character who an audience could latch onto and become friends with, but just the things that they're, uh, 
the murders that, and mysteries that they're working on change. And in my case, I'll probably at some point change the the setting for the stories as well. This first set for this year are all going to be take place on this mythical uh, tropical island called Saint Colette that I have. But at some point, I want to switch them back to the state state side because I have start I have some short stories with these same characters that are it, it, and these stories are kind of young kind of the cross between young adult new adult there's no no real sex and stuff in there although there's a lot of innuendo um but I have a whole set of, of short shorter stories and uncompleted novels that are set with these characters on a college campus here in the United States and I kind of want to bring them back and put them back in that world um, if I can so that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much what I uh, did during this last week in particular and where I think I'm going to be going forward. That novella, by the way, yeah, is going to be used as a, uh, a cookie or as an encouragement for sign up. My plan right now is that novella will never appear any place for sale or there's no, there would be no way people could get it unless they sign up to the email list. And the novella will be setting up how these characters actually got into the detective, quote-unquote, detective business. And because in this first book I wrote, it's just kind of assumed that they've already solved a particular murder. So this will, the novella will be them solving that murder. So you can see how they began. In the That's world. interesting. I, I didn't think of that for, for mine, where I haven't really thought about what I want to do for a novella, because I, I know I should do one uh, as part of the giveaway. Um, and I, I don't even know what I would do because this is like my, my amateur sleuth's first time, you know, s solving a mystery. And he talks about how he wants to, and he reads a lot and he watches the, the ID murder network stuff. But, and I do have this backstory with his parents that I'm working on. That I have no idea what it's going to be, but it's kind of like, that's kind of like the overarching story that will come to a head at some point in book three or four or five or whenever I feel like it. Right. Um, but I don't know what I would do for a novella, but that's really a good idea. It's definitely something to think about. Well, one of the things uh, that I've seen done before uh, when book one actually starts off with them already with them doing their first murder investigation is People write a story where they go back in time quite a ways, say into the person's teens or their even you know when they're their children, and how something happened where they became involved in maybe not actually solving the murder mystery or solving the mystery whatever it is, but they were kind of at least adjacent to it, and that kind of started the seed of the idea that this is something they would like to do in the future, and that that might be something you could do. With your character if he's if especially if you're talking about how he's always wanted to do this and that'll get you know give a rationale for it yeah i don't know what it would be but that's definitely a place to start um he has this weird childhood where um at, who was telling me was it i can't remember i think this was i was watching this there was an episode of a show called evil lives here and it was on that the the id network the murder network where it was a, a family, it was a, a husband and wife, and I believe two kids. And I believe this story was being told from the daughter's point of view. And she was talking about how her parents, you know, her dad would would move around a lot. He would move them around. One time they just moved to, to Alaska, completely off the grid. But, you know, he was always going on, you know, business meetings, whatever it was. Well, it turns out he was like a serial killer 
killing jewel people uh, people that dealt in jewels i think it was or gold i think it was gold actually in like i don't know oregon and washington or, or somewhere around there, maybe montana somewhere around there and i really started thinking in terms of my book my character i think is he's got kind of a uh, he's got like a great childhood and he doesn't really remember his his mom and dad being gone on like these business trips but it happened and he's saying that was just life and it eventually they get killed in, in what's deemed a car wreck and then there's a lot of speculation about the car wreck there's a lot of i have like social media picks it up and they go all reddit um you know investigating it where in his head he's denying it all and just calling it a car wreck because that's what the police told him and so throughout my series he's going to kind of start to like move toward believing it was something else and it's going to come to a head at some point where it really was uh, either a murder or not, whatever it earns. I have no idea where I'm going with it yet, but that's kind of what the background of it is. Right. And I'm I'm wondering if that, the only issue with making that into a novella, his childhood is there's gotta be a beginning and an ending. And if the ending is them dying in a car accident and the police telling him, hey, it was a car accident, that's kind of boring. That's not a very fun ending. So, but that that keeps no, up with book one, so. Right. Unless, unless you make it clear in, in the novella that he knows it's not an accident, but what's happened over time is he suppressed that because yeah. of the trauma of losing his parents. And that would that would kind of fit in real well with what you're doing now in the first book. Yeah, the only thing I don't want to do yet is I don't want to give anything away. I want, it to, I want that, to, I want to be what happened to be uh, the plot of one of the later books where he solves ah, it okay. as part of the mystery. So I don't want to give okay. it away in a novella. That's why I'm still, I'm kind of struggling, you know, I probably could have done it better in the first book, but I really like the idea. So I just went with right. it. Well, I mean, um, there's, there's no reason why you need to have a novella as right. a, pre a prequel to, to any of this, because once you get to the other books and you can always use this book one as, as the, the giveaway and, ha and have it for sale at the same time. Right. But, yeah. yeah. So, um, on to my news here. Um, we, you know, I always talk about my Amazon stats and I kind of go through the numbers every week. I'm just going to quickly just run through a couple numbers here. I'm at, I'm at 5,320 impressions on my 16 ads. I have 12 clicks. So I'm at one every 443, which is really, really good. I still just have, I either have one or two people who download it and are reading it. They're both from the same ad and that ad only has one click, but they're about two weeks apart. So maybe the person who did it picked it back up and started reading a little bit more. Um, so I do have pages there. I also have some pages on some different days that may or may not have anything to do with the ad, but it's not on the, it's not on the Amazon ad dashboard anyway. So I'm not really sure. I just know that I need to stop saying I'm going to redo the novella, uh, the uh, blurb and I need to do the blurb. Right. I, need, I need to make that change because right now I'm getting clicks and I'm not getting sales. Like I'd want to, I'd like to get, you know, one out of every five, six, seven clicks. I'd like to see a sale or a download some page reads or something. And I got the cover, you know, it's scheduled to be redone in June. So it'd be nice if between now and June, I redid the blurb that way I have pre blurb and cover only the blurb changes. Now the blurb and the cover are changed. I can kind of compare those numbers and see if one of those was better than the other. And if one of those kind of changed the tide, um, you know, it definitely is better going forward. If I can write a blurb that starts selling how to write a blurb going forward. So, right. um, so, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm actually pretty happy with getting 12 clicks out of 503, 5,320 impressions. One every 443 is great. One of my ads actually has five clicks. One has three clicks. I mean, they're getting the one with five clicks is one every, I don't know, to point. 225, 228 total impressions, whatever that is divided by 540 something, you know, mm -hmm. one every 40 something clicks is great. 
Right. And uh, I'm just not getting any sales off of it. So I got to figure that out. But uh, we talked, uh, this is basically an idea I stole from you. We talked about doing Facebook ads to get your newsletter up. This is kind of the, the, the schedule I came up with. And I talked about this before, but I just want to talk about you with talk about it with you on the podcast and get your thoughts here um, as my dog goes crazy. Cause somebody, my neighbor has the gall to cut their own grass on a Sunday evening. I can't believe that. <laughs> um, so I, I have, six things in here um instantly after so so do a facebook ad have the user click on a landing page on my website um send them an, an instant a thank you for for signing up maybe a, a day later send them a cover reveal and the reason i'm doing it this way in an automation is so that i don't have to go out there once a month and send emails i'd rather take them through the chain this way um instead sure i mean it's, it's an onboarding sequence so right yeah. Yeah. And it actually gets them, let, let's say somebody doesn't sign up until after the third email I send out, well, they miss the first three emails, but this guarantees that they see the six that I have so far. So, well, but they're going to have, they're going to have to sign up in order to get these, right? Correct. They're already going to, okay. So, so if they, talk so if they sign up and I don't have an automation sequence, I decide instead I want to send an email out once every two weeks. So the, they sign up, let's say right now, and they get the first one, they get a thank you. The next day they get the cover reveal because this, this isn't automation sequence. This is me sending emails. Okay. So what if somebody signs up after I do the cover reveal email, they miss it. So by doing an automation sequence, they guarantee, they're guaranteed to get all six of these steps. Right. Does that makes sense. I explained that right. I think so. So what you're going to do is you're, you're pushing people to a landing page with a Facebook ad, and you're going to ask them to sign up to your email email list and you're going to i assume either have something on that landing page that uh gives them a a brief look at the story or actually have some a cookie that you're going to deliver to them immediately when they sign up in order to encourage them to go through the sign up process correct okay Instead of, and I, I want to do an automation sequence that reveals all of these items. So sure. 24 hours later, a cover reveal, two weeks later, I send them like a character sheet. I don't give anything away, no spoilers, but I just send them, these are the characters. And maybe I come up with actors and actresses that can play each person. Um, two weeks later, a location scouting. And then maybe the first half of chapter one and the second half of chapter one. Um, and, and that's kind of where I'm leaning toward right now. I have to time it correctly because I don't want to send them the second half of chapter one and then make them wait three months to get the book. I mean, I really have to do this correctly um, right. to make it make sense. So so let me ask this. What's the cookie you're going to use? Because it's not obvious from here. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah, have okay. one yet. Yeah, I don't oh, have okay, one okay. yet. The, the cookie really is the the cover reveal and the character sheet. That's kind of what I was going for right now. Okay. I don't have like a novella or something to deliver to them. So um, this is kind of what I was leaning toward, but I don't know if this is enough or if it's schedule wise, it's good enough. I'm still trying to work it out, but that's, that's so again, it's, it's, uh, instantly they get a thank you 24 hours later, they get a cover reveal email two weeks later, a character sheet outlining all of the main characters in the book. Um, a, a summary of who they are without giving away, oh, this one's the murderer, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and maybe some actors and, and, and maybe it's formatted nicely in a little PDF so that it looks nice when you open it. Um, and then a location scouting report, which is the locations that are going to appear. And maybe I go online and find pictures that, that could represent them, you know, things like that, um, that I could use. And then two weeks later, the first half of chapter one, because it is two scenes and the second, and then two weeks later, the second half of chapter one, that's kind of what I've come up with. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you, and, and you that, had talked about doing this before. What, what are your thoughts? Right. Well, see, I was thinking more in line, along the lines of, yeah, you have to have an onboarding sequence of some 
some length in order to keep people involved up until the point where the book actually gets released. Now the question is, what are we what are we doing with this process of pushing people by Facebook ads to this landing page? What are we interested in? Are we interested in getting people on a mailing list that are interested in the story and that will stick around? Or are we interested in ultimately trying to sell the book to these these people? Because that, that will determine how you actually approach what you give them. Because you could always, if you're, if you're mainly interested in developing a community of fans, then what you could actually do is almost serialize your story and and feed it out to the people like that in a weekly or whatever chapters so they could uh, keep up with what's going on. It keeps, keeps them interested in the story and then not worry about this particular book. The first book being the one that you're going to sell. What you plan on doing is selling to them the, the books that come later on in the series. In, in my case, what I was thinking of doing is the, the novella, depending on the length that it turns out, I will probably in the sequence of emails I get serialize that novella. And so they'll get once I push them to the landing page, they'll get that thank you and they'll get the first chapter probably with a cover on it. And then each week afterwards or every three or four days or whatever I decide to do, I'll drop another chapter on them and just run them right through the novella that way. And then assuming they stick through with it and they read it every week, they may they, when the book does come out, the the book one in the series comes out, then they may be primed to go ahead and move on through the series. That was what kind of what I was thinking about for me. Now that I'm, that might not work for you, but I I don't think I would do it with book one. But I really like that idea. I really like the idea of a ser a serial. I, I I talked about this before with doing another book where I do like maybe ten. 10 novellas that are, you know, 10, 15 to 20,000 words each pushing the, you know, right in the first six or seven. And then as I'm writing eight, nine and 10, start pushing out maybe once every two to three weeks, the beginning of them. And I love that idea. I never thought of doing it with an actual novel where I assume what you're saying is, Hey, if there's 30 chapters, I'm going to spend the next 15 weeks pushing out two chapters at a time, but I'm going to make sure that those chapters are good enough with like good cliffhangers so that in a week or two or two, whatever you do, you know, if it's weekly or, or biweekly, um, the, the person continues to stay on your list with the idea of selling them the next book in the series. Right. And That's you can also, if you've got, if you have a big full length novel, you could also, I've seen this done before, especially this is what people have done on websites is they'll ser serialize maybe the first third of the novel. And then they'll say, okay, you know, do you want to read the rest of the story? Here it is for something nominal, you know, 99 cents. 99 or cents. Yeah. Right. And, and that gets, that, doesn't piss people off that they've been kind of you know duped into reading the first part of the novel and now they got to pay something big in order to get the rest of it you don't think um, so you don't think that would annoy people well it's, it won't annoy them if you if you're clear up front that's what you're okay. doing yeah okay, you can tell them okay you know this is what's going to happen you know i'm going to i'm going to send you a chapter a week or a chapter every three or four days you know i personally lean to more than to something more frequent than once a week just oh. because a week is kind of a long time for people to wait to read a chapter uh, if you want to keep them really interested if you hit them every three or four days one of the things that two things are going to happen number one they're going to become involved in the story and they're and if they like it they're going to want to stick with it and they'll do the nominal purchase at the end or number two they'll become ticked off that you're emailing them so much and they'll unsubscribe uh, either one of those 
are good outcomes in, yeah. you know, in my book. Well, that's really interesting. I, 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 this is stuff I've never thought of. I've never heard anybody really talk about that before. Um, I've never really heard anybody say, you know, I've never heard a podcast where somebody said, send out a third of it or, or whatever, but telling them up front, okay, I'm going to send you the first 20 chapters. And after 20 chapters up, if you want to read this, you, you have to go to Amazon and download it from Kindle unlimited or buy it for 99 cents. I don't know how I would feel as a consumer about that. Well, what you do is uh, I, I think what you have to, you gotta be really careful or clever about how you set this up in their mind. You got to set this up in your mind as, look, I'm doing not in these words, obviously, but yeah. look, I'm doing I'm doing you a favor. What I'm doing is I'm getting, I'm showing you a very extended preview of this book, much more than what you would get if you looked at the look inside on Amazon. So you can tell whether or not this is I'm the kind of writer that you would like, and these <laughs> right. are the kind of stories that you would like to read. And uh, yes, at the end, I'm going to ask for something nominal to offset the cost of doing this but you know if you again if you tell them that up front they they can make the decision up front do i want to stick with this or do i not and then they'll always have in the back of their head that yeah this this free stuff i'm getting is going to end at some point do i want to stick with the pure freebie seekers are just going to drop out right away right because they're they're going to have up the mindset that i'm never paying for anything the people that you want on the list those that will pay for things in their head, they're going to be going, okay, you know, this sounds like a fair deal. I get to see a good part of the book to see how this guy writes and whether the story is compelling or not. And since I'm a person who pays for books anyways, 99 cents at the end isn't going to bother me to do it. Probably for, for a lot of these people, $3.99 wouldn't bother mm -hmm. them to do it. Because, you know, if they if they fall in love with your story or, and they fall in love with you as an author, at least conceptually, they're going to want to support you because they're going to want to see more stories from you coming in the future. That, that that's kind of the way I think about it. And that's something I probably couldn't put into Kindle Unlimited because you can't give away 33% of your book. You can give away 5% of your book. So I would guess. Yes. And that, that's the difference. Yeah. If you're going to be in KU, then yeah, you're going to have to work, think about how do I work around that issue? I love the idea of doing something different than just uploading it and saying, okay, it's in KU and it's $3.99 if you want to buy it. I love that. Just coming up with alternate ways. That's why I love this serial idea that Actually, I really want to do. Yeah, actually, no, you could do this. You could do this because the terms of service, if, if I'm not mistaken, are when the book is in KU, you're, cons you're constrained about what you could do with it, including how much of it you can give away. If that book's not in KU yet, then you can go ahead and do this, this kind of sequence where you're giving away chapter by chapter by chapter to people that you're pushing to this list on Facebook. And then once you get the, the book is completed and you're ready to publish it into KU, You've already done all the Facebook pushing you're going to want to do in terms of the mailing list because now you're going to be hitting, trying to get, draw people into the mailing list by the back of the book when it's when it's published. Uh, that would be fine. I don't think that would violate anything. Unless Amazon. somebody signed up the day before you put it into KU and now they've got to go through the sequencing. Right. So, so you, you've got to you've got to check and say, okay, did everybody get through? Because you can check that. Did right. everybody get through? Um, and and then you can and, and that's something where you could probably just put it up there for sale and then two months later just drop it into KU if you wanted to. Right. Um, yeah, we're yeah, gonna keep I, talking about this by the way. This right. is really interesting to me. I love the idea of coming up with these other ways. So right. Yeah. So so yeah, that 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 playoff there about when you drop the book into KU and, and when you have to cut off the mailing list and stop pushing people to it, it's gonna depend on how many chapters you're gonna reveal to them up front. Right. And how yeah. frequently you're gonna do it.
Right. Well, that takes me into the next piece of uh, uh, thing I have on my news here, which is what makes a good story. We had talked earlier about about what makes somebody buy something that, you know, uh, 20 books, 50K says a good story is something that, and I guess 20 books, 50K doesn't say that, but but a, a lot of people in that group will say um, what makes a good story is people want to go ahead and read it. People want to go ahead and buy it. Um, well, I think I've heard that out of the mouth of both uh, Michael Anderley and Craig Martell. Craig. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the official line of 20 Books 50K that you can't, you as the author are not, are not capable of judging the quality of your story. It's basically the way they put it. So the, my, my question though, to, to kind of flip that around, and the examples that come to my head are always the same two examples, 50 Shades of Grey, Ready Player One, both of them written horribly the the writing in both of them is terrible the it's basically tell don't show at least in, i i don't i read 50 shades of gray a long time ago um and i recently read the second what ready player two which was even worse than the first one is a terrible book anyway that story was terrible the first one was really fun and really good and played into my 80s nostalgia um just like it was supposed to but it was written so horribly but but yet people bought it and it sold billions of you know millions of copies and and the question is why do people why did why were those two books along with other ones like that why were those the ones that were latched on to right well i i have a couple of things to say about that uh, start off with the 50 shades of gray and all the books that came after that i don't think we should as authors of non-erotica and 50 shades of gray was basically erotica it just wasn't mm -hmm. necessarily as explicit as it could be um I don't think we need to be comparing anything we do to those kinds of stories because those kinds of stories play off a basic primal human instinct that for sex, which is hard for people to satisfy a lot of people to satisfy in their lives. So they're going to, they're going to go, they're going to gravitate to stories that feature those kinds of motifs. Uh, if, they hear that this is something it's unusual it's it's weird it's something i probably would never want to do in my own life but i'm really fascinated by people that do these kinds of things uh so it's got a kind of a built-in dopamine receptor kind of feedback not it's not even dopamine it's oxycontin i guess or whatever but it's got a built-in hormonal backfeed into the into drawing people into the story that like a murder mystery doesn't or a historical even a historical romance doesn't uh so yeah those those kind of books can be poorly written and still gain huge audiences just because they're unique you know it's, it's, it's something you don't well, it's something you don't see coming out of the big five publishers or big four yeah publishers. no doubt yeah right so that's you know and it's the same thing that drew people to to read for those who actually did to read the stories in penthouse and stuff back in the day uh you know that was the kind of thing you know some some big authors cut their teeth on writing those stories actually writing non non erotica stories in in penthouse and in playboy just because people were going to those magazines for something other than the stories but then they stayed for the story as well so i i, I the yellow james one yeah i hate to i hate to look at that and try to draw any kind of conclusions about what we should be doing as authors uh, the other example you gave was ready player one uh, that i'm not familiar with although again what what happened there is you're drawing people in to purchase a book because of something else they're doing in their life it's not because they're interested in reading books it's because they're interested in game and games 
and it was gamers and it was a the kind of a game i i assume ready player one was actually a game right at first or it, it no i i don't know yeah. i don't think it was i think it was a book oh, okay I mean, he started yeah okay. he started as a book okay mm -hmm. i thought for some reason back in my head i thought that when that book came out it was linked to a game but maybe it's just linked to the the general general motif of role-playing games or something i don't know but um yeah i don't know about that one either and i haven't read that actually to be honest i haven't read the uh the 50 shades of gray either all i've read are, are, are reviews of it and people you know slamming it for the uh the pros and and how uh amateurish it was but yeah, it yeah was... I, I i don't really know so i guess getting, getting back to your point your point is <clears throat> can we really use sales as a as a marker of what a good story is or not and i guess by those two examples uh, probably not not or not necessarily it's a story that people wanted to read, but even they might not say it was a good story. So in your mind, then when you're reading a story, what makes a story good to you? Like what makes you want to keep turning the pages? Well, number one, it has to have a character that you care about. Um, and it, you don't have to care about them in any kind of a real personal way, but you have to at least be interested in what they're going to do with the scenarios that they're facing. Uh, and historically, storytelling has been expressly for the purpose of teaching people how do how am I going to behave when I'm faced with scenarios that I have not faced before. So that was that was kind of the, the basis of, of oral storytelling was always to to instruct people about the kinds of things they might encounter. And if you do encounter these kinds of things in your life, how are you going to react to them? It gives you a chance to think about it before you actually have to react to it. So for me, when I'm reading a story, and especially a murder mystery, no, one thing that catches me are the characters. Are, there in, are they interesting, believable? Do they have quirks that I can kind of identify with? Uh, do they seem like people that I, you know, I, I would be friends with for whatever reason? Uh, but And secondly, it's going to be the plot. Is, is the story that they're telling something that's complicated enough that's got me wondering what's going to happen? I think, I think the mistake... And I've seen a lot of um, newer authors, I guess I should say, or maybe maybe indie authors, they telegraph way too much early on in the story. You know too much about what's what's happening behind the scenes. And as a result, maybe it's just because I write, but as a result, you can predict what's going to happen at the end. Yeah, and you got to give your, your readers credit for being smart. Right. And, well, you, and yeah. You got you to dangle the idea yeah. that you don't know everything yet in front of them and you're going to have to read further to understand what are people's motivations what what's a clue what's a red herring you know that kind of thing to take it into the murder mystery thing but a lot of this gets really complicated so i'm not sure it's easy to say what makes a good story um, so when you write the things that you think make a good story, I think some of the things you just said, do you try to apply that as you're writing? Because, oh, you yeah. know, hey, th this would make yeah. me happy, so it's going to make other people happy? Yes, I, and I think it's a, it's a mistake. I hear a lot of peop people talking about writing to market, and at least some people, when they say writing, writing to market, what they're, what they're talking about is writing things that people want, that people, that readers want to read uh, and that they've read before and will read in the future. The problem with that is, is that readers don't really know what they want to read until they start reading it. Um, so when I, when I write anything, short stories or anything, I'm writing for me. I'm writing because, of, because I don't know what's going to happen here. And then, well, of course, you know, I'm, I'm pantsing. But even as a plotter, you know, you have to, at some point, 
you don't know what's going to happen. You have to figure it out uh, and get it down on paper. <laughs> Excuse me before you uh, you start to write. So it's so funny get, you took it to such a deeper level than what I was thinking. My head okay. in my head, it's just like eh, make sure you have a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter and make sure that it's characters that people want to want to root for you know that kind of thing for me well, that's for me it's just likable characters right. characters that that i almost can see some part of myself in so that it makes me root for them even more right. along with at the end of the chapter i want them to turn the page you know what what is what is i think sean coin called it a potato chip book where you right. know you can't just eat, eat just one type thing right. and um yeah, you, you took it very, you're very deep, you're a deeper person than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but that's important because what you just mentioned there, the cliffhangers or, or the, the potato chips at the end of each chapter, that's an important structural thing that you do to drive people through the book. Uh, can you have books without those little potato chips that are actually good stories still? And I think you can. Those are those are what people often call literary fiction, you know, yeah. because, because it's not, and, and I tell you, I read a lot of literary fiction. And some of the literary fiction I've, I've read are the best stories I've, I've ever set my eyes on. They weren't classic genre stories. They didn't have tropes in them like you would typically have. Uh, but they were, the stories were told in such an interesting or unusual way that kept me reading through it. Uh, the, the one that pops right into mind right now is uh, the title of the book was Eleanor Oliphant is Quite All Right. <laughs> And it was written by, let me check my shelf here. Very catchy. I like that title. Yeah, it was written by Gail Honeyman. And it's a story, I don't want to give too much away in case people want to read it, but it's a story about a woman who has a contentious relationship with her mother. So right away, you're, you, you know right away you're either talking about women's fiction or literary fiction. That's that's kind of a bread and butter of, the, of those of those kinds of books. Yeah, but the woman, from the writing and the way in which it's written and the way in which she interacts with people, you realize that this person is not normal. Okay, it's, it it's a person who you well you don't really know what's going on with her. Uh, she's kind of a mystery. Uh, she's extremely socially awkward. Uh, you know, she could be somewhere on the autism spectrum, but you don't really know. Uh, there's hints that she's had things, trauma happened to her in, her in the past, but you don't know what it is. And it's just really a story of her living out her life, having somebody want to become romantically involved with her and she doesn't know how to handle it. And she's stuck in a, in a job that is both unrewarding and has its own sets of trauma that are inflicted on her. And it's just a, a story of, of, and I guess in a way, what happens in the story is you become attached to this person. You wanna find out by the end, does this person really turn out all right? Is she all right or is she not? And you know what's what's happening with her? So that goes back to what you just said. You know, If you create a character where people are really interested in finding out what happens to them and how they've dealt with whatever, whatever cards they've been they've been uh, given, then that is probably enough for a good story. And you don't even have to have the little potato chips chapter by chapter. I'm sure this, this book did have some, but it, it wasn't the kind of, you know, cliffhangers that you would expect to have in a real, in a pure genre story. So yeah, I guess we're, we're kind of talking around the point. I'm not really sure 
if anybody's ever come up with a good definition, you can come up with a structural definition, which is kind of what Sean Coyne does in, yeah. in, in the whole story grid thing. Okay, here's structurally, this is what you've got to have in order to have a good story. Because otherwise, in his words, you know, it doesn't work. Right. But there's plenty of stories, I think, that work that don't go by his structure. It's just that, by and large, you have to overcome the lack of structure by something else. And it has right. to either be an outstanding character, it has to be a particular uh, way in which you ha you are able to put prose down on the page that, that captures people's attention. It's going to be different odds and ends like that instead of having this basic three-act, middle-build, you know, climax kind of thing that mm -hmm. he talks about in the story grid. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any good answers, I guess, is when I come on. Not only do I not know what a good story is, but I don't know what a good answer is to the question. <laughs> I was really hoping you would just tell me what a good story was so that I, I could guarantee this next one was going to sell, you know, yeah. millions of copies. But yeah. all right, we'll, we'll keep talking about it. Maybe we'll come up with it at some point. Well, I tell you, you know, the issue that that brings up a, a different issue that I'll just drop here and we can talk about at a uh, later time. But whether a book sells or not, has less to do with how good the story is, especially for new authors, than whether or not people even know you wrote a story, that you wrote a book. And that, for, for authors in this indie world, it's all about discoverability. If people don't know the book is out there and it's never crossed in front of their eyes, they don't have an opportunity to even decide whether or not they would like to look at that book, which is why people try to game the algorithms and why they try to, to write to market hot markets at a particular point in time, because all they're trying to do, they're, they're maybe trying to feed a reader's uh, appetite, but what they're really trying to do is get these stories in a place where their potential readers are going to see it and have an opportunity to decide whether or not they want to read the book. And that, that's would, the challenge that we have. Would you ever write to market? Well, I, I don't write fast enough to write to market, so I probably would never try it. But no, although I guess in some sense, when you pick, you know, in some sense, when you pick a genre, you are writing to a market. Sure. You know, you know, you know what the tropes are that are required in, in those kinds of stories. You can you can play with them. You can leave some out. You can add to them. But, you know, the basic things that you have to have, like in the murder mystery, you, know, you have to have a, a sleuth or a detective. You have to have a body. You have to have uh, somebody who's in peril. You know, it has to be mysterious in the sense that the reader doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Or if you want the reader to know everything that's going on, the you make it clear that the main character doesn't. And the reader is strung along by the fact whether or not the main character is going to figure it out before they get offed as well. Right. Um, so in some sense, we do write the market. Would I ever jump around genres to go into hot genres? No, because that, you know, that doesn't interest me. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't think. I have the kind of writing talent to certainly not at this stage to be able to do that. Like I couldn't sit down right now and write a romance. I could sit down and write a romantic story, but I doubt if I would go would meet the expectations of your typical romance reader. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And guys like Martel and Andrew Lee and some of the Mark Dawson, they've tried to write these romances and have failed at it. You know that well they've written them, but they haven't sold them, and people did not like them because. They didn't hit the tropes in the way the tropes have to be hit because it's right. we have to realize it's not only just the tropes that, that there's these markers but there's the way you lead up into them and the way in which people react to the situations that circulate around those tropes that readers in particularly hardcore genres like romance the readers are looking for and if you if you wander off outside those those boundaries 
you're going to get readers and you, you'll get people that'll love those stories, but the vast majority of them won't. Because yeah, it won't be... take off like something right. that you write well. If you write a science fiction really well, if you go try to write a romance and you don't hit that stuff, it's not going to take off like the science fiction. Really. Right. And romance is, you know, people think about romance as being, and I don't, I don't, I've tried to read romance. Um, I, I, I have a couple of blocks on reading romance the biggest one is that the vast majority of them are, are written in first person and i don't like to read first person um for whatever reason um, but romance is a really hard genre to write in because there's so many expectations uh on it and there's so many really good writers out there that are fulfilling those expectations that's hard to break in mm-hmm. things like sci-fi i think you have a little bit more leeway because there are different types of sci-fi, you know, different types of romance as well in terms of you know Regency, modern, you know, uh, current day romance, you know, whatever, uh, West old Western romances. But science fiction, you're, and this is me being not a science fiction writer, but you're allowed a lot more leeway in coming up with not only the world building but how people react to the world that you, that you're writing about. And the big, in my mind anyways, the big difference in science fiction is that you have to make a decision up front whether you're going to write hard sci-fi or soft sci-fi. Hard sci-fi being stuff like Andy Weir's books where everything is very scientific based. Soft sci-fi being more along the lines of what probably Isaac Asimov wrote where there's science in there and it's believable science, but it's not something that you necessarily would say you could look to current technology or even near-term technology and say that this this could happen so it, it's tough i mean it's yeah. tough. i think i think in the end if, if we as authors if we think too much about what we write we get ourselves in trouble probably we, it's easy to chase your tail as you're doing yeah it. it's, it's easier just to sit down and write and yeah. the pantsing thing that you do amazes me i don't know how you do it um I would be curious, and I'm probably going to hear it, how your plotting goes for your novella. Oh yeah, compared yeah. to what you've done in the past. So yeah, definitely. Okay, I th- I'm going to have to. I already, uh, I already understand. That I'm going to have to get myself in the mindset that I am writing this story only in plot form. Oops, sorry, only in plot form. Um, that when I get done plotting it, I'm basically going to have a first draft of the story, and that what I do right now, whereas I just kind of pick a character, pick a setting, and just run with it. I'm going to do that in the plotting stage, only I'm not going to be as involved in, in, in developing dialogue and as involved in developing the setting. I'm just going to put down brief, like you did, you've shared some examples in the, the past weeks of, of this, where you just put down one or two sentences, a paragraph, and then you go back, you expand those paragraphs into maybe a page, you go back again, and you expand that. So basically what you're doing is you're going back and you're doing editing passes to the point yeah. where this outline actually turns into prose. And that's... I just have to get that mental model fixed in my mind so that I don't freak out. Because what I do is I freak out. I start I start looking at the idea of plotting. I go, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I don't know what's happened before. I don't know what I really want at the end. What's in the middle? You know, and I just it's easier to say, well, I'm just going to start and I'm just going to write and see where it goes. Start start with note cards. Note cards. Start with three by five note cards because you can only write so much because you're writing it. I'm assuming with a pen and right. ink. You can only write so much, so you have to keep it short and sweet right. to start with. Yeah, right. And and uh, James Scott Bell in one in one of his books, I think maybe How to Write a Novel. It's one of the things he uh, he suggests you do is you take you know uh, forty or fifty note cards, go to a coffee shop or wherever you like to hang out, and just sit down there 
and just start writing ideas for scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, you know, they don't have to be connected. They don't have to be anything. You just write down scenes that you can see your characters getting involved in. And then at the end of that, you've got 40 or 50 ideas for scenes or chapters. Then you start shuffling them around and say, okay, well, if I was going to put this together into an actual story, how would this be ordered? You know, some of them get tossed you, as you're ordering the things around. Some, you, you recognize that there are places where there's gaps, which is what I'm recognizing right now as I'm going through and editing my book one. There are places where I need a chapter that I think I need a chapter anyways. I don't really want to do it because I want this book to be over with. Uh, which is one of the things I'm going to rely on C to tell me is that, yeah, mm-hmm. you really need a chapter here uh, to explain something. So, yeah, you just do that. And, that, yeah, you're right. I think that's the approach I'm going to take is I'm going to not do this digitally. I'm going to do it the old, old-fashioned old analog way, and they'll give me an opportunity to not only play with my pens and ink, but also to, uh, you know, feel that it's easy to just take, take a note card and flip it into the trash can Um Whereas it's a little more difficult for me to do that once I've actually typed something into the computer. I don't yeah. necessarily want to get rid of it. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's so. jump ahead here. Um, I'm going to yeah, run we'll... to my, my uh, running list of future things to do. Uh, I think that's where we're going to go next. Right. Um, it's the same as what it's always been. I need a back door for my dog to be able to run in and out because my back door has literally been open all day when I'm home. And when it's 85 degrees outside, that's not so bad. But when it's 35 degrees outside, that's terrible. Um, I talked about needing to update my blurb, which is something that I, I need to actually add to a week. I need to say, okay, on Thursday, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and right now I just haven't done that. So maybe I'll try to put it in for this week. Maybe in fact, after this podcast, while I'm just sitting on my couch, it's something I can look into. I need to update my blurb. I need to figure out how to turn those clicks into sales. And then I need to update the Yoast plugin on my website for SEO. Um, I've been doing it for the podcast now where I've got a bunch of smiley faces on my little Yoast plugin because I did all the things you need to do in terms of keywords and titles and how it looks on a page when you search it and all these things. I need to do the same thing for uh, my book pages uh, just to get them out there. And, and, and uh, you know, hopefully they, they end up in in search pages better than what they do now. So. How, how long has it been out there? How long have you has it been since you updated that on the podcast? I do it on Sunday nights now when I post it. So as soon as okay, we're so, done. So you're doing oh, this oh, how many weeks? Indivi- yeah, so you're um, doing this on each individual episode? or Yeah, I want to say the last four weeks and then an episode a couple before that. Um, so probably about the, maybe four or five of the last six I've done it on. Okay. Um, in terms of the, the Yoast stuff, yeah. Well, I just typed in the, into Google search, new author podcast, and you come up as a second, oh. uh, second thing. So that's What's not too first? Bad. Um, 10 best podcasts for self-publishers. And you might be in there. I have no idea. I doubt that. Yeah, so do I. I see self-pub, I see Mark Dawson, or right. oh, Paul, actually Paul Teague's the first one on the list. Yeah, this is back, well, that was a list from back in 2020 too, yeah. so. Good for him but, though. But yeah, you're the, uh, actually the third one, I guess. The third nice. one on the list. All right. Um, and then I have, uh, let's see, my addicted to, it's just the same. It's story grid. I am listening to these story grid podcasts like crazy right now. I'm really, I, because I'm a computer programmer who works from home, I can just sit and listen to them all day while I work and it's, it's easy and it's great. So I, I went back and, and tried to listen to a few of those. And I remembered after I listened to a couple of them, why I stopped listening to it is because I get I, I, halfway, halfway through the episode, I started thinking, man, I wish they would have done an outline ahead of time and just kind of boiled this down because they kind of recycle through the same topic over and over and over yeah. again in the podcast. 
Yeah, there's only so many times you can talk about the hero's journey before you just start right. repeating yourself. Yeah, right. There's a there's a podcast out there by the way called The Hero's Journey, and it's these two guys who I think are uh, actors or kind of low end actors, like they've acted some stuff but not much, and they started doing this podcast where they pick a movie and they have a Patreon where people vote and all the good stuff that people do nowadays, and I believe it's once every two months they come out with a new. It might be once every six weeks, maybe four weeks. They come up with a new one where they just heroes journey the whole movie. And I love listening to it. And um, and that one actually does not get repetitive because it's a different movie every time. Right. Um, I don't know why I talked about that, but I love the hero's journey. So I'll talk about it all day if I have to. There's a, um, there's a podcast that I, I meant to mention earlier uh, when we were together last time. And I forgot that is really interesting to look to. It's not really craft per se. It's not really it's not really a diary of any kind but what it is is it's this guy named uh, john king who invites on authors to their to his podcast and they just talk about story they talk not not from a technical stint but sense but they talk about uh particular books or they talk about particular ways of of, of uh understanding story uh, they talk about things that they're interested in, in story and stuff like that. It's called The Drunken Odyssey, which is a really uh, weird title for it. But it's kind of a compelling listen. And that's something that might be something you want to check out every now and then. And it, what's interesting, or what I find interesting, you can tell that he, he's just doing this for his, his own enjoyment. Uh, he's got 520 episodes already on this. Oh, wow. Uh, they're all at least an hour, around an hour long. And the titles of them are completely nondescriptive. Because all he does in the title is just list the author he's talking with. So, you know, like Marissa Siegel and Kimberly Ann Priest and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, you know, you never know what you're going to get. But it's, it's an interesting thing to, uh, to yeah, listen to. Yeah, I'll have to, to look for it. I'll definitely look yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so what do we got coming up this? Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. You have your. your well, yeah, my, my addicted to it is just it's the same. Same old, same old. I got to get this draft of the book done. So that's the thing I've been focusing on almost entirely these last few weeks. And that will be done and out on Wednesday for better or worse. And after that, I'm going to get back and really hit that bathroom remodel hard. I got to get that finished up within the next couple of weeks uh, or else my wife is going to kill me probably. <laughs> um, and, and that and I've got other remodeling projects I need to do, which was you know, on my, my list of things to do for the week. Or for you, excited, the you excited to get that book to the editor, get it off your plate? I am. I, I'm excited to get it off my plate and get started on the next thing. I'm kind of nervous about what she's going to say about it. Uh, I can tell she's a nice person just in oh, yeah. email exchanges and stuff that we had. So she's not going to, you know, be mean about it. And I'm going to tell her when I send it to her that, look, yeah, I know this isn't exactly where it needs to be, or at least I don't think it's exactly where it needs to be. Plus, you know, I, I've been, I was in academic publishing for 25 or 30 years, and you can't survive in that kind of environment by having a thin skin. So I do have a relatively thick skin. But again, I'm also a relatively new fiction author, so I don't want, you know, I don't want anything to come back that's going to make me say, oh, why, why the hell am I even doing this? Right. You know? <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, I wish I could find out more about C herself. Uh, you know, she's got something about her background and stuff on her website. She's told me a few things by email. Uh, but it would help to put in context what she sends me if I knew a little bit more about what she's done professionally in her life. Like I told you, I think maybe before we went on on the air that uh, she ghost writes, has ghost written murder mysteries for people. So that was a piece of information that I really liked to hear because it it tells me that she knows the murder mystery structure 
uh, if people are paying her to write those for her, right? For them. So anything she tells me about mine, I could take, you know, a little more seriously than maybe if this was just a random editor I picked. And in a, in a lot of ways, this is a random. It was, yeah, <laughs> because you just suggested it, and I went went with it because you know how you, how are you going to pick one? You really don't. The only way you do it is by recommendation. Right. There's really no yeah. other way to do it. All right. Um, so I don't know. My coming week is that me or you? I think or it's me. You. Yeah. So my week, my routine now that I've been working so hard to get down is now changing because it's summer and golf starts and I'm, I'm actually golfing. Oh man, it's, I'm now golf. I'm, I, I'm golfing four days a week now. I told uh, my buddy, Sean, that I was now living the retired lifestyle without being retired. Um, so it's changing up a little bit. So Monday now is going to be my new hothead burrito evenings because Tuesday I, my golf league starts, uh, I was supposed to start last week, but again, we got snowed out. So we are starting this week. Uh, so I will not do any writing now. Tuesday's now become my no writing day. So Tuesday and Monday have basically swapped, uh, Wednesday I'll write at lunch like normal. And I joined in that second golf league. So I'll do that in the evening. Uh, Thursday I am, um, I'll do my writing at lunch like normal. And then I have an evening where I'm not doing anything. Um, but this coming week, the NFL draft is happening. And I love the NFL draft. I will sit and watch the first round Thursday night. It'll go from like 8 PM to midnight. Um, my favorite team, the Browns do not have a first round pick because of a trade they made. So they're not going to be picking anybody, but I still love watching and seeing what the teams do. Did Friday, you ever, last, last year I watched at least some of Pat McAfee's live, uh, live, what do they call that when, when they like coverage? Uh, yeah, live coverage. But it's it's you know they're kind of essentially in video form. They're dropping tweets about what's happening on on the uh, on the draft, and it was kind of it's amusing to hear their take. You know, a couple of people, uh, Pat McAfee and AJ Hawk, both of which played in the league, to hear their take on what people are doing in terms of personnel on their teams. It's kind of interesting. I've seen him on YouTube a bunch of times. He's really yeah. funny, and his podcast yeah. is really popular. Right. Um, but no, I, I did not see it last year during the yeah. draft. So you just um, you just watch the uh, the NFL. Yeah, uh, I'll watch. It. I'll flip between NFL and ESPN. Most of the time I'm on the NFL Network, but yeah, I'll just flip it. And I and then I'll go to YouTube when certain players are picked, and I'll watch every single player has a highlight reel on YouTube, and I'll watch some of their highlight reels right. just to see more about that player. So I got to get ready for all my fantasy football stuff. So I wonder if the Mannings are going to do anything surrounding the draft because they were hilarious on the Monday Night Football. Uh, them I did so, watch, and yeah, they yeah. were great. Uh, you know what? They if ESPN was smart, they would they would put them on ESPN too, like they did with the Monday Night Football. So, right. Right. Yeah. Let's see, Friday, I'll do my treadmill at lunch and then I'll do hothead in the evening. Uh, the NFL draft rounds two and three are from seven to midnight. And I will watch those because the Browns have picks during those rounds. So I will be watching those. Uh, Saturday, I'll have a 7 a.m. tea time and then I'll write in the afternoon. So no more Chick-fil-A in the morning. Uh, I'll golf in the morning and then I'll, I'll go to like Panera or, or Hothead or Five Guys or something and I'll sit for a couple hours. And then the NFL draft rounds four through seven are all day. It's like it's like noon to seven, noon to eight, something like that. And I'll, I, I don't really watch that. I'll record it um, just in case I want to go back and watch a piece of it, which rarely happens, but I'll record it anyway. And then I'll watch, I'll watch ESPN or NFL or Twitter um, to see what the Browns are doing and what some of the other like Pittsburgh, some of the Browns, you know, rivals, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cincinnati, keep an eye on what they're doing too. So, um, and then Sunday I'll golf in the morning again, 7am and then I'll write afterward and then we'll podcast afterward. And then just going to check and see is 6pm. Okay. Now for the next couple months on a Sunday oh, sure. night to do this. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. That'd be fine. In fact, it's, it's probably better for me that way. 
Okay, good. So we'll probably release a little bit later than on Sundays than what we normally do. Uh, my goal for next week is to obviously finish my reread of chapter eight, which I'll do immediately tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, and then get back to the actual rewrites of the chapter, starting with chapter nine. This is basically starting my middle build. Um, and I'll, my hope this week is to get through chapter 12. So that's actually nine, 10, 11, that's four chapters uh, along with the reread of chapter eight. I think I can do that. Now, one thing about where I'm at in the stories, I've already written the first 18 chapters. What I'm doing now is going through and, um, basically rewriting based on all the notes I took while I pl was plotting the entire book. So it's not taking me near as long to go through these as you know, when I get to chapter 19 and I have to write it from scratch, that could take me a little bit longer per mm -hmm. chapter. Um, so, so the goal I, this week is to get through 12. I may have asked you this question before, but I can't remember the answer. You went through that Udemy video and you took notes on what the guy said should be in each chapter. Did you try to match that up against what, against the story grid and how a story is supposed to progress uh, through the story grid? I did not, but... I will say that as I'm going through it, it's pretty close. I mean, the lowest moment happens at the same time. There's a, there's a, um, there's a, uh, it's more hero's journey than story grid, but so, so no, not really in terms of the story grid, but in terms of the hero journey, hero's journey, it does match up pretty close. Okay. Um, but, but he, he basically uses the hero's journey in the story grid. I've heard him right. talk over and over about the two things. It, right. it, it also has characters that act as those characters, like the trickster, the mentor, you know, the shapeshifter, all those hero's journey characters. You know, he, again, he talks about those in, in helping Tim write his book um, during the story grid. Uh, he, he basically uses all the hero's journey terminology. The, the, the story grid stuff is more about making sure each chapter turns, making sure that there's a, a what the five commandments of story that he talks about, which is, um, a beginning hook, progressive complications, crisis, climax, resolution, um, making sure that each scene has that, which I don't get into that much in depth. Although I feel like, I feel like a lot of people who have written stories and a lot of people who have read a lot of stories, I think would do that stuff just instinctively. They would do it because they know how a story, they know the stories they like, how they've been written. So I think a lot of that stuff is instinctively. And then story grid is used more to just check it. Basically you check each scene as you go. So one of the things I thought about doing is when I send this book off to see, I may go ahead and take it and try to story grid the book, which I, I haven't done. I did started doing a couple chapters realizing it was, was going to take too much time and I didn't want yeah. to continue doing it uh, at this point. But once I send it off, my plan for that book, really, when I get the stuff back from her, and I don't know how long it'll take her to do a development edit, but... My plan is just to put it on the shelf for a month or whatever, not even look at it. Uh, try to do story grid, the, the, the book first, get started on, on that novella before I pick up her suggestions and, and try to massage those around. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because when, when, so recently, probably earlier this week, I was listening to the episode where Sean told Tim, okay, we're going to story grid your book. Your homework is to go story grid it. And in the next episode, Tim was like, that is a slog. That is hard to do. It's hard to get through. And, and Sean was like, yeah, you're right. It absolutely, like he doesn't, it wasn't like he was criticizing it and Sean didn't take it as criticism. He just took it as, yeah, that's, that's what you have to do as an editor or that's what he does as an editor to make sure that every scene is working. So, right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. So that's my uh, week. How about you? Uh, Monday and Tuesday, I'm just going to be all day long, be editing, doing the final passes on this book one, uh, probably right up to the deadline. I don't have an actual time deadline. She said she wants it Wednesday. 
I think she's roughly, if she's in Brazil, like you said, I'm not sure, she's not told me where she's at, but if she is in Brazil, it's roughly my timeline or my, my time zone. So I'll try to get it to her midday sometime. She said she wasn't going to start on it until the 28th. Uh, so I'll get that sent off. Then Thursday and Friday, I'm going to start plotting that novella. Uh, I don't know how far I'll get. I'm, probably by the time I reach, uh, reach next Sunday, when we get back together, I'll be pulling my hair out. The hair I don't have out, and uh, you know we can we can talk a little bit. Maybe you can help help me through how how you actually do the plotting. Yeah, and, and it'll it'll help me a little bit. So, and that's basically going to be my week. In between there, I'm going to be working on that bathroom remodel. I got to the point. I've got the tub in. I've got the cement board up for the tiling. I've got I've got it all plastered in and everything. So basically, I have to do some finish work on the plaster, and then tile the tub, tile the floor, and it'll be done more or less so another weight lifted off your shoulders i'm sure yeah well then i'll roll into the next one which is either do the spare bathroom uh the second bathroom we have or uh do some some rearrangement on some closets that we have i want to put in some closet organization systems because we've had a storage unit one of those climate controlled storage units for quite some time now and progressively they just been jacking up the price a little bit every year a little bit every year well this last time they jacked it up like 25 bucks and it turns out now that i'm spending like between 14 and 1500 dollars a year on storage that i probably really don't need i know i can i can throw stuff away and i can bring what i do want to keep back home and just have the storage in the house a little bit more efficiently designed so yeah that's going to be something i'll be doing um i guess we'll roll into um let's see what else was i going to do yeah just playing the novella and then we'll, we'll see what happens in terms of story gridding the book one uh the best thing i wrote this week again this is just something that's been edited and i just i wanted to have something here um uh, just to talk about since i haven't been able to read anything for the last couple of weeks i don't know how much i like this well you know see if this survives the uh the last editing of this book or not but this is coming uh, this is after the death of a character who was set up as a primary suspect uh, earlier in the book. So this is basically in the middle of the second act sometime. Um, and the two main characters, Megan and Cassie, are have conned their way into this guy's hotel room where he was found dead and are searching for a better explanation of, of his death than what they've been given so far so this is what i got none of this makes any sense megan said zukov was supposed to be having lunch meeting today with some business group why would he have an elaborate breakfast with a woman just before going if you ask me he got lucky the night before at his age you don't turn down an opportunity for nookie when it comes along which now that i've said it makes me less enthusiastic about checking out the bedroom Megan feigned a slight gag. She likewise no longer planned to examine the sheets. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> a little bit of comedy there. Yeah, I like it. Plus, you're you're maybe you are heading towards a little bit of Fifty Shades of Gray here. Well, yeah. Well, like I said, uh, there, there's a lot of innuendo in this book, but I don't right. don't ever drop anything uh, explicit in it. Um, all right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the hundred word story I wrote. And uh, again, the, the genre was historical fiction. The um, action was drawing a heart. And the word was bone. And the title of it is A Civil Civil War. Catherine stood with her sons. Thanks for coming back to mourn your father. He was very proud of you both. I've missed your cooking, John said. No bones in my soup, William said. You can't stay longer? The war is ongoing, mother, but don't worry. Gettysburg is warm in July. 
We'll be home soon, John said. They kissed their mother and rode their horses along the road, separating at the junction. Be careful, Catherine whispered, walking into her home. Tears rolled down her cheeks. On the back front of the front door, she painted a heart half blue and half red. Yeah. Well, when you told me which, what the, uh, that your son is in the Civil War, that's the first thing I thought of, is you'd have one, one son or one person on one side, one on the other. And this happened a lot. This happened in my, in my wife's family, uh, because my wife is from wife's family is from West Virginia and West Virginia was nominally yeah. uh, union, but a lot of the, especially in the Southern and the border areas along Virginia, a lot of those people fought on the part of the, uh, of the rebels. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a rough time for people. But yeah, I, I, like I will it. say that, that it sounds this, when I was writing this, it sounded a lot better in my head, but now that I, I read it out loud, I actually really like it. No, it's good. How many, yeah. how many words did it come out to be? Is well, it exactly? 100 exactly. Yeah, 100 okay. exactly. No, I think it's really good. When do you get, when do you find out if you've made it to the second round? Uh, I think the second round is in July, I want to oh, okay. say, so, so um, because there's 7,000 people. There were like 60, 6941, I think it was. And oh, there's, wow. so what they do is they put you in a group. So I'm in like group 64 and there, I believe are 59 people in my group. And I think they talk that, I think they take the top, 400 from each group, I think is what it was. I'm sorry. I don't know what I just said there, but I meant to say 14, um, the top 14 from each group. So my group was 59. So it's about 25%. Um, and I was just trying to find the, uh, I was just trying to find the actual rules to say them out loud, but I can't find them off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that's right. I think they take like the top 14 and then there's a second round. And, and what I, one thing I really liked about it, I think I said this before, was they will actually critique your story for you, even if you don't win, even if you don't go on to the next group, every single person gets a critique. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing what they say back right. to me um, about it. So Right. I will be, too. I, got, I have a question for you here, and this is just a stylistic question. I don't know the answer to it. Uh, I, I, I've decided to do it a certain way in my book, in this book that I'm writing right now. But this very first sentence that you or the first two sentences that you have, Catherine stood with her sons which is basically setting up a setting of the picture in the, in the reader's mind of what's, and then you have dialogue that comes right after that, where this person in the setting is talking. I've seen this done two ways. I've seen it done the way you've done it, where the quotation comes immediately after in the same paragraph. And I've seen it where there's a paragraph break. And uh, do you have any thoughts about what, what's the right way and what's the wrong way or, or not the wrong way, but what's a better way of doing this? So I did it this way because to me, it makes more sense to who's speaking. So if I would have said Catherine stood with her sons and then hit an enter on the next line. Thanks for coming back to mourn your father. Now, obviously the context of the sentence makes it clear, but let's just say it would have been, thanks for coming back to mourn him. Then I wouldn't know if it was Catherine or that one of the two sons speaking. So I did it because in my mind, naming Catherine in that sentence and then keeping it all in the same line makes it clear to who is speaking. That's why I did okay. it. Um, I will say that I've gone through three different editing sessions with C in the last four years. Uh -huh. And I feel like she would have done it this way also only because I did it this way without, I didn't think how would C do it, but I did it this way okay. based on probably how I've been critiqued in the past. I also went through a year and a half of my mom. So I feel like I've been critiqued in the past enough to where this is what it turned into. Okay. It'll be interesting to see what she comes back with. Well, she's not really doing a uh, a, co a line edit or a copy edit uh, this time around, so she may not say anything about it. But I did it the exact opposite. I mm. I, I made sure that I, I set up the scene or who was talking, and then I would break it and have the talking. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, it's just okay. just just an interesting sidelight.
And that um, is a nice little two-hour podcast for us today. Yeah, well, um, we're making up for the last couple of weeks when you yeah. were, where you were <laughs> just short. rambling for forty-five minutes. <laughs> um, thanks for allowing me to take breaths every now and then. It was nice. <laughs> um, do you have anything else? No, I'm done. All right. I have nothing else else. So if you want to contact us, um, you can reach me, Jerry at jerryevanoff.com. Uh, my website is jerryevanoff.com. I'm on Twitter, Jerry E25. I'm on Facebook, Jerry Evanoff author. Uh, if you like what we do here um, and you enjoy listening to us talk for a long time, um, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Jerry Evanoff and make a donation. Any money that's donated goes to the rich Jerry Lindsay dinner. The next time the three of us are in the same place together. And uh, I'm also on Snapchat. If you were on Snapchat following me, you would have seen a bunch of different golf stuff going on this weekend. I don't know how that doesn't excite you. Um, and I'm also on Instagram, even though I never post anything. I really am just a lurker. I follow like nine people. And uh, yeah, there you go. And you can reach me at rich at richcasey.com in terms of email. Uh, I'm on Facebook at Rich Casey Author. And I don't know if you've, if you've said this, Jerry, recently, but if you like the podcast and you like what we're doing here, you know, be sure to drop a review in whatever uh, place that you download the podcast from because it'll help other people see the podcast as well. Yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do here is get this podcast out to, to more people. So definitely leave a review and a rating and we would really appreciate it. So, all right. Um, that is all we have for this week and thanks all for listening. And if you're new, please continue listening. Um, I, I really enjoy the conversation that we have and I think it's, it's fun to listen to. And um, yeah, thanks all. We'll, we'll talk to y'all next week. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to the new author podcast. Check back next week for another episode. And for more information, find Jerry at www.jerryevanoff.com and Lindsay at www.lindsayevanoff.com. 